Welcome to the Mostly Plot Art at Night, Mostly. I am Salem, joined by my co-host, Graveyard. Hello. This is episode 16 of our weekly All Things Horror podcast. Uh, this episode will be diving into the John Carpenter Apocalypse Trilogy, or J-Cat? Do they really? They call no. it J-Cat? I'm just calling it J-Cat just for... Oh, okay. So this is... we're cool, right? This is yeah. a graveyard. Okay, gotcha. Yes. I was like, I've never heard that term before. Yes. Um, okay, so yes. So we'll be discussing the J-Cat. <laughs> um so uh yeah so there, there's basically three movies um they're so named the, the john carpenter apocalypse trilogy because they essentially have um very open-ended apocalypse-like endings yes um so yeah they, they're not um directly related in any way but they are thematically related Yes, and he had no intention of making an apocalyptic trilogy. <laughs> right, no. right. Yeah, this is yeah, this is a thing that happened after the fact by fans that kind of piece these together and and call it uh, that. So, yeah. Uh, but now we're going to change the world by changing it to J Cat. <laughs> exactly, J Cat for the win. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, and these three movies are The Thing, uh, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. Yes. Um, we're going to do them in chronological order because, uh, like I said, they're not you know, sequels or directly related to each other. We're just going to do them in the order that they came up. Um, so we will start out with The Thing. Uh, this is 1982. Is yeah. that right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, 1982, um, starring Kurt Russell, who was in a lot <laughs> of, uh, of of John Carpenter's movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that relationship started with uh, Elvis. Did you ever see that? No. He did no. a he did a made for TV movie called Elvis um, that he directed. He didn't write or anything. He just directed it. And Kurt Russell played Elvis. Is that where we get all the Kurt Russell Elvis <laughs> things? Then? Yeah, that that's where their friendship and love affairs started, and that's why he's been in so many things. Okay, since then was yeah they he they played like, Elvis impersonator or something something else like, like uh, was not? it yeah was it three thousand miles to Graceland yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it was uh, him and Kevin Costner both played Elvis yeah. impersonators, uh, and in that one, it was heavily implied that Kurt Russell was like an illegitimate child of Elvis. Okay, so interesting. Like, yes, I have seen that movie. Uh, I Courtney Cox is also in that movie too. Did not know that. I've never seen that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a bad movie. I did. I, I did watch it. I've, I've actually watched it more than once. I think. But, okay. Um, it's it was okay. It was good. It's all right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was the first thing they're in. He's been in a lot of things other than that. Um, I believe this is the first John Carpenter movie besides the Elvis made-for-TV movie that he was in. Yeah, shortly um, after we got, you know, the first escape from... New York, yes. Which New York, is yeah. An amazing, fantastic uh, movie, but unfortunately it does not fall under the horror <laughs> <laughs> genre, so we were, we're not going to cover it. Well, But lots of horror people in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Donald Pleasance is in it. <laughs> right. And Bruce Campbell <laughs> is in the L.A. one. Right. Oh, yeah. As I was a like, in general, yeah. I was going to say, he's in a <laughs> from New York? Was he no. a kid? But then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Yeah. So we'll start off with the, uh, with the thing. Um, yeah. So the plot uh, of this movie is essentially um, there is a scientific outpost in the antarctic wasteland the middle of nowhere yep um and it's uh this particular one that everything centers on is an american one and all american men uh there's no women at all in this movie um and uh the movie opens up with 
um, Norwegian guy yeah, because the the closest um, station to them is a Norwegian station. Yes, um, and it's and it's Norwegian guys in a helicopter chasing a dog through like a snowfield. Right, or like yeah, he's shooting at it, um, and he's trying to throw grenades at it. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um. So he essentially chases it to the um the American outpost. Um. The the dog you know runs up and like uh you know jumps on top of them like you know obviously friendly ish right. Goes to the um, dog guy too. Yeah. Enough. Right. Right. Um. And then uh. Okay. Well, another just a quick aside on the movie. Did you know that dog was actually half wolf? I can tell it wasn't pure husky. Yeah, no, it was it was half wolf, like real wolf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they said it was like they had to be very careful around it on set because it again it's half wolf, so it has a, it's very close to the wild. Yeah. Um, so like when you, they had like certain looks that it would do if it if it had that certain look on its face, you had to like get away from it. <laughs> it was interesting. It was pretty um, well trained wolf dog. Yeah, I mean. yeah. No, I mean obviously it's not like you know dangerous dangerous or else it would not have been on a movie set but yeah they said like you know sometimes he gets unpredictable because he's you know half wolf right um so anyway so yeah this wolf jumps up on the guy um and then the the norwegian guys are screaming stuff at them in norwegian yeah and they have no idea what they're saying and they're like trying to like communicate what's going on but they won't put the gun down um so norwegians like start shooting at them Right. Uh, they wing one of the guys, you know, they don't hit anybody dead on, but they wing one of the guys who falls down. Um, you know, the one guy tries to throw a grenade, uh, ends up throwing it behind him. Yeah, um, so he, the helicopter. yeah. So he jumps forward. You know, the other guy's like trying to dig through the snow to find it. It explodes. It blows up the helicopter and the other guy. Yeah. Um, and then the, yeah, the, the guy, you know, is like shooting and trying to chase the dog and trying to shoot at basically anybody that's getting in his way. Um, and then the uh, one guy breaks out a window of the uh, outpost and then shoots him one time right through the eye. Yeah. Right. Which I always found very odd. Hey, we're in Antarctica. Let's just break windows. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> well, just open the door. Right. I, I call him the sheriff because he, <laughs> he was just his outfit and everything. He was just missing the batch. He looked like a sheriff. He had the gray or the, the beige on and he looked like a sheriff. He's with yeah. his, even the gun was very, sheriff. well, yeah, he didn't just say, yeah, he didn't just have a gun. He had a gun belt. Like it was what? like a cowboy gun belt, like yes. the offset gun belt. Yes. Like, yeah, he was a and they, the sheriff. right. And they even made a comment like, you know, oh, you finally get to use that pop gun. He's always carrying around. It's so, like, he obviously wore that gun at all times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so they shoot the guy. They have no idea what the hell is going on. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, the dog is like, you know, just kind of, you know, friendly ish. So it's like kind of wandering around the, the camp. Um, yeah. they're kind of, tr- you know, trying to figure out like, okay, where do these guys come from? And they have paperwork. They say, okay, you know, they're the, the closest, um, you know, facility to us. Um, uh, we can get there in like an hour by helicopter. Our each way. Yeah. But it's right. almost nighttime. Right. Yeah. So they're like, we can get in and out, you know, pretty quickly, but we want to go see what's going on. Um, McCready, who is uh, Kurt Russell's character, is the helicopter pilot. Yep. Um, so, you know, him and the doctor um, end Doc, up. Yeah. yeah. So so they go there to like to see what they can find. Um, and they they get there and that's the entire place is like frozen over, <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah, there's like big holes in the walls and the ceilings and everything. Everything's like burnt. Yeah. Everything's like burnt and just thrown all over the place and essentially destroyed. 
Um, and but it had apparently been like that for a while because again, everything is frozen, it, including the blood coming from my guy who right. slit yeah. his own wrist and neck. And it was frozen icicles, right? Coming, yeah. Not only, eye. yeah, not only slit his own throat, but like literally almost decapitated himself. Like, right? Cut it so much that it was so deep that it was like halfway through his neck. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the blood had frozen from that, and it was like you know, icic blood icicles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they're going through. They find a bunch of paperwork and, and video stuff that they they have to bring back to to look over. But they also find a big, huge slab of ice uh, yes. that appears like something, um, like you know, broke its way out or thawed out in the middle, kind of thing. Right? It looks Almost like something it. was in the ice, but now it's gone. Almost Encino Man ish. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was like, it's kind of interesting. You look at it, you can clearly see all the ice blocks they had to yes. like put together. Yes. To <laughs> like, you could tell it wasn't just one big block of ice. I mean, it had yeah, just pinky thing, but it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, so they go back um, and they, they're looking over all this footage and the, and the paperwork and stuff. And they end up finding out, like, okay, they were, you know, looking at this one site that was like a mile away from their camp. Um, they spent a lot of time there. Um, you know, there's a lot of videos of them, like, you know, finding this thing or like, you know, showing how big it is by like showing people standing in a line in front of it and all kinds of stuff like that. And basically it boils down to it's some kind of alien spacecraft. Which we see in the very, before the title screen, we see a spaceship. Right. Going towards Earth, and then we have the infamous burning of the thing coming through the background, which came from, you know, the original thing from Another World, which is a great homage to it. Right. Yeah. And it's also like almost the same exact beginning as Predator. Yes. <laughs> like, exact. Yeah. Like, it shows the, the ship come in for, like, a second, and then it shows it, like, burning the atmosphere, and then that's it, and then the movie's done. Let me say, I don't remember the spaceship. <laughs> Quite honestly, like the, the before the title. Um. Yeah. I mean. Well. I mean. I, again, it doesn't really play a big, you know, right role. It just it's just basically there to show you like it's not normal. It's not well, a human it's thing. A That's thing a, from another world. Right. Yeah. That's basically all it's there to do. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. So essentially, they all go out to this site to to check out what they've been looking at, and they see like you know there's a huge, you know, kind of quarry you know, dug out of the ice and it's very clearly a like, you know, you know, flying saucer, a giant flying saucer that's like encased in the ice and they had been digging around it. So you can see the whole surface of the thing now. And it looks like there was a hatch that they had opened at some point. Right. Um, but anyways, but it looks like the, 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 the section where they cut out whatever it was that had melted was found off away. Like, away from the ship, right? Like a, a slight distance away because you can see the square that they cut out. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's basically whatever was in the ship had gotten out and frozen on the ground. Yes. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so they go back, um, you know, to the facility and they're, you know, they're kind of trying to, like, make sense of everything. <laughs> um, and at that point, you know, they kind of notice that the dog is still walking around and, you know, like it, it bumps somebody under the table when they're playing cards. And they're like, hey, man, you need to go put this dog away. Like, <laughs> what's the rest of the slate team? 
Right, yeah. They go put the dog away, and he's like, okay, yeah. So there's yeah, the one guy, Clark, is like, he's the dog guy. He's like the hound's master, or whatever you call him. Right. Um, so, yeah, so he brings the dog back. He opens up the cage. Um, the dog kind of goes in there. It looks like it's hesitant, but it goes in there, and it lays down kind of oddly. Right. Um, and he, uh, he locks the door, and he goes away. Um, and, of course, at this point, um, the dog starts, like, you know, mutating, and obviously, like, you know, growing extra bloody limbs and you know weird little tentacle tendrils are coming out and trying to grab the other dogs in there so the other dogs are like freaking out um they're like you know barking one dog is like trying to chew his way through the cage yeah Uh, one dog gets like sprayed with this weird goo stuff that's coming out of the thing and it's yeah so it's essentially like trying to grab these things and like trying to like assimilate them it appears right it's trying, trying to suck them in um so yeah of course there's all this noise and shit going on so yeah the the guy comes back the hound master guy's like you know what are these dogs barking at comes back sees this goes oh shit right we got <laughs> we got burn them right and so he goes you know well, what's going on so of course uh mccready you know hits the fire alarm so they're all like freaking out like what's going on you know basically um you know they go in there they're, they're starting to shoot and they you know they kill i think one of the dogs so the hound master tries stopping him at this yeah. point they kind of realize the gun isn't really going to help anyway so they they go get a flamethrower um and they come back and then the thing um almost comes at them well i think it does come at them before they actually light the thing on fire yes um, so they light it on fire, and I feel like it was only on fire for like three seconds before they put it out. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you didn't want to burn anything out. Um, I, I mean, I understand it's inside of a building, you know, this <laughs> set on fire. But I felt like they did not let it burn long enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, something so, something happened before that. Before the dogs put away, we see the dog walk into a room with a shadow in there, and we just don't know what happens. Right. We see. Before that dog gets put away, we see him walk into the room with somebody, and we don't know if it's a man shape, right? Because it's only men. Right. And then that's when we see, like, okay, something's weird. Now we have going, okay, something's going on with this dog. And we saw the dog previously in some room with some random person. That's the information we had before right. finding out that it was able to, like, assimilate or amalgamate creatures that it was trying to do. So, right, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, you could, yeah. I mean, you knew it was a silhouette; it was a person, um, yeah. and that's it. That's all you can tell. You can't tell right. anything else. And yeah, and again, nothing else was even inferred that happened at that point. But that was the only other hint that you get before this point, right? Um. So yeah. So they they burned the thing. Um. And then, uh, oh yeah, I forgot when they were at the um uh the other Norwegian thing, they found a thing outside that had been burnt, um, but was like looked like. You know, yeah. like um, two people kind of like merged together, yeah, or or, or like melted together almost. Um, kind of like kind of like Chucky when he got the into the steam thing. Chuck in Child's Play too, uh, right? Extra arms and legs attached to him. Right, right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was definitely disturbing. So they brought that back with them to to study, and they were supposed to do an autopsy on it anyway. So yeah, so yeah, so they're doing an autopsy on that thing. They're also doing an autopsy on the dog to try to figure out what the hell it is or what's going on. Yes. Um, and at this point in time, they're kind of going like, you know, they figure out like that dog had been wandering around the facility all day. Yeah. So like, okay, well that's, you know, we don't know what could have happened at this point. So everybody starts like distrusting each other and all, you know, it immediately starts <laughs> at this point. Right. It's almost uh, like, uh, you know, you're, you're 
you don't know what's going on there. It's almost like the start of a murder mystery done. Right. Right, right. So, yeah, so, so at this point, they're like, you know, they're trying to like search everything. They're trying to like make sure that, you know, nothing else is out there. Um, and, you know, they're like finishing up their, uh, their autopsy and they basically, you know, decide like, yeah, this is, it's all perfectly normal inside, you know, like genetically and, you know, all the organs are all there and all that. They're just like, there's like two of them and they're, you know, obviously right. merged together in a odd, different way. So they know that there's something going on and there's just more that they're trying to, to figure out. Um, and at this, this point, uh, the guy who was doing um, the autopsy, Wilford Brimley, <laughs> yeah. um, who Blair, I think his name was Blair. Yes, Blair. Um, so yeah, so Blair starts to like, they, they show like this scene of like with these awesome computer graphics. Because <laughs> um, you know, he basically figures out that this thing is copying it basically like takes over a cell and then copies that cell. So right. it like mimics whatever it, it comes into contact with. Right. He's, kind it, of, he's gone over this. He's like translating the Swedish notes. He's realizing that this is like a, like a, a virus. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it takes this. And again, he like somehow had time to build this little graphical computer program in 1982, which would have taken like months. Right. Right. <laughs> to do just that anyway. So they had a super advanced, you know, mainframe computer system in Antarctica. Um, but, it, you know, it basically shows him, like, you know, whatever. The, if this hits, like, civilization, like, the world is going to essentially be ending. Right. Right. Because it says, like, you know, there's only a certain amount of hours from first contact to when it literally takes over everything on the planet. Yeah. Um. So at this point, he starts kind of losing it. And he essentially, like sabotages the helicopter um, he sabotages station. yeah the, he sabotages well that that's what he does at the light but he, he sabotages the uh the helicopter first um he sabotages the uh uh the the tractors that they have yep. uh, anything that can get them out of there and then he starts destroying the uh radio equipment because they they can't get a signal out because it's like it's actually winter in our Arctica, which is like the worst time, you know, like nothing can get through. This is the time period where if you're in Antarctica, you're locked down for like, for like six weeks. months. Yeah. 12 weeks, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's a long time before you can even get a signal out. Like no supplies, no help is coming. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, they they literally just started. I think they said it was like, this is the first week of winter. So it like just started. So there's, yeah. you know, they have at least, you know, the maximum amount of time to wait. Um, So they, yeah, they can't get a signal through. And then Blair goes in there with an ax and just starts like, breaking all the fucking radio equipment the computers um, yeah yeah essentially saying like he we can't let this thing out we can't let it get right. out of here we can't leave this right. can't leave with us right no one's going anywhere exactly um so yeah so they kind of like they you know they they ended up bringing him down without anybody getting you know too hurt i think windows the radio guy gets a little beat up but he's he's okay ish right yeah um, and yeah, so they kind of drug him and they put him out in the tool shed. Um, yeah. and they're just like, yeah, we got to keep him separated from people. Cause again, we, you know, we don't know what's going on. We just know that he's a danger to people if he's here. So, um, they lock him out there and they're all kind of trying to figure out, um, what's going on. And while, and at this point they decide, okay, we need to lock everything down. Um, so they take the, um, the bodies because if they, when they're looking at the notes, I think Blair says that it's, they're still active in some way 
Yeah. Um, so they decide to lock them in the storage room. So they tell everybody to come get their stuff out of the storage room. They're going to go lock these bodies in the storage room to keep them away from everybody. Um, and as they're putting them in there, um, th- there's two guys that are trying to clear out the room. One guy leaves and the other guy is still in there. And then when that other guy leaves, one of the bodies like comes alive yes. and essentially grabs him. Um, so that, you know, the guy comes wandering back in, he sees the thing in process of grabbing him and like assimilating him. So he kind of screams and runs away. He gets everybody. They come back with the flamethrowers and, uh, the dude is gone. Right. So they, they go outside, um, and they see him running around in the snow and they get up to him and they catch up to him and he looks normal from the back. But when they, you know, he kind of kneels down because he got caught and they show him from the front and he very clearly has like, you know alien-ish arms, right? So, like, the thing, whatever like it is... Has, coming out of his right. Yeah, yeah, it is not. It has not finished completely copying him yet. Um, yeah. And they try to talk to him, and it just, like, emits this weird, crazy scream noise, and then they just burn it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, at this point, they know, okay, this thing can take over people. You know, like, we know this one guy got taken over. We don't know if anybody else did. Because, you know, there's still, like, the dog was wandering around, right? Yep. You know, then this dog we they knew was infected. You know, we don't know. It, it it could be all of us. It could be none of us. Where McCready says, like, I know it's not all of you, because if it was all of you, you'd just rush me and attack me. So he's like, some of you need to be human. We need to kind of try to figure it out. So he's like, hey, doctors, can you guys figure out a test to uh, to, to figure out how to, how to get out of this? You're like, yeah, sure. We can do like a blood test. So they go running back inside to get the blood. Um, they open up the, the cabinet. And of course, all the blood is destroyed. It's melt um, yeah, because the blood they have blood there for transfusions in case they one of them got hurt. They have their right. own blood there on on standby to transfuse their own blood back. So right. Yeah. So the 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 only guy who had access to the cabinet is the doctor. The only guy who had a key is the sheriff guy, right? right. Who's who's yep. essentially like the captain leader of the of the thing. Um, and they're both denying having anything to do with it. Um, so right. of course at this time, you know, paranoia is just going through the roof. Nobody knows who to trust at this point. Um, so yeah, they're all kind of like, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to lock everything down. So he takes the, the people he believes at this point are the most likely culprits. So he takes Clark, the dog guy, um, the doctor and the sheriff and he locks him, you know, he kind of ties him up and then drugs him. Right. Because, well, Winford Brewing said, watch out for Clark. Yeah. Right. He, yes, he, he told him previously, like, hey, you know, when he goes to check out, like, you know, just watch out for that Clark guy. Well, yes, because Clark also said that he was alone with the dog for, like, at least an hour. Right. Yeah. Um, but also, the dog had been wandering around all day. So, like I said, it could have been anyone. They don't know. Nobody knows. Right. Paranoia is just going through the roof. Right. So, at, at this point, it, it seems like time passes, like, at least a few days. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're all kind of there. And the next, um, thing that, that happens is, is, uh, I'm trying to remember who Clark, Clark starts going a little bit crazy and McCready shoots him. No, that's that. That's afterwards. That's after, cause they, um, something happened where they had to go out and search for stuff. Cause I remember they went out to search McCready's, um, cabin. Right. And then that's when he when he goes to come back, the one the one dude, the, the chef guy, Nalls. Yeah. Um, he finds McCready's like ripped up underwear that he said was like shoved in a stove. Yeah. 
And then when he comes back and he said, he was like, I had to cut him loose because it was him. He's the thing. Right. Um, and then he like he sneaks back in. And then after he gets back in, that's when the whole standoff happens when he actually shoots Clark because Clark tries to rush him, you know, because he's basically saying he's like, I know I'm human. So, you know, you guys tried to, to somebody tried to frame me. So I know at least one of you is a thing, an alien. Right. Um. Yeah. So and Clark is the one that tries to rush him and he shoots him right in the head. Right. Um, so, yeah. So Clark is down. Yeah. Well, yeah, he doesn't change. But again, at this point, we don't know if it will. If you shoot right. it in the head, who knows? Obviously, um, so yeah. So Clark, you know, gets put on the table. Um, and then the, uh, you know, this kind of like rampant stuff happening where they're like, you know, chasing each other around. Or no, the w- Windows leaves to because ch- to, he's like panicking at this point. Yeah. So he goes and, and breaks the glass and grabs a shotgun, um, you know, because they have like, a, yeah, I guess, shotguns in case of emergency or something. Right. In case um, so yeah, of penguins attack. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever. Well, in case maybe the Norwegians are going to attack him. You never know. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that happens. Um, and in the kind of scuffle there, um, the one dude, uh, what's his name? Norris. Yes. Um, he like basically has like a heart attack. Yep. Right. So he's like, oh, he kind of passes out. So they have to untie the doctor because obviously he's the only guy that can do anything a good thing it seemed like the drugs had worn off at this point you know, they, at least they, they, didn't, could, they didn't give him a full dose they gave him partial doses to keep him kind of awake ish enough right but again they it, again it, it kind of a looked like they had been there for days because it like days had passed at that point yeah like there's mccrady saying you know i think they were saying they'd been there for however many hours and it was like at least a few days yeah um, he was making a note and he was going to hide the tape so that, you know, if somebody found this later on, they'd know what happened to them or whatever. Right. Anyway. So yeah, Norris has a heart attack. They drag him into the room. So everybody is now in the room. Um, and, and mostly everybody is, um, you know, well, the three, well, the, the sheriff and Clark are, st- or no, no, Clark is dead. <laughs> so the sheriff is, I whatever. Everybody's in the same room. Um, the doc, they untie the doctor, um, Norris is, you know, essentially looks like he's dying. So the doctor is like trying to perform CPR on him. And as he goes to push on his chest, one time his chest literally opens up like a big mouth Yes, uh, with his rib cages for teeth. Uh, the doctor's arms go into his chest and then it closes on his arms and just bites his arms off. Oh yeah. That's most iconic seat right there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So of course everybody's freaking out. The doctor's waving his stumps around. Yeah. Um, and, and screaming and everybody's like trying to do something. Uh, McCready goes to light the thing on fire and his uh, flamethrower stops working. Right. It's like just going a little, but it's not like shooting the flame out like it should. Um, and, you know, everybody's getting like thrown around like windows gets bitten in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so windows is, is pretty much out. Um the head, detach, the head detaches. They're trying to. Well, that's because uh, yeah, they, they finally get the guy in to, to light it on fire, right? And they light it on fire, and then when the rest of the body's burning, they yeah, the head, which is the only part that's not burning, detaches itself, and then grows legs and eye stalks. Becomes like a spider, right? And then and then runs away. And the one guy, uh, Palmer, I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah, so he sees it. He's like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me, right?" Yeah. Um, and so the other, so they see the thing and they they hit it with the flame. But at this point, they realize that not only is this thing capable of taking people over, but this thing is capable of being whatever the hell it wants to be. 
Right. And that's, right. But each part, is, but each part's separate, but all piece of the whole. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's basically what they decide at this point. Like, you know, the, okay. So uh, basically McCready decides, okay, the only way they're going to be able to do this, his theory is, is that since every part of the whole is itself a whole, um, that if you take blood and put it in a Petri dish and then hit it with like a, a hot wire, right. it's going to try to run away, right? It's yes. going to try to escape because the, each cell is essentially its own being. Yes. Um. So, yeah, so he ties everybody up. Um. And then he uh, first tests himself, right? Yes. And then he tests, I don't know, who's the first guy that he tests? Was it Childs? Or was no, it Charles wasn't Charles wasn't the very first, but he he was one of the first. Well, I think it was Knowles. I think it was the cook dude. Yeah, he just he, every time someone passed the test, if they were tied up, he'd untie them. Then right, you could, they were separating out humans versus you know unknowns at that point. Right, yeah, and so yeah, he's he's working out and he's kind of leaving the sheriff as last because at this point in time the doctor is dead, right? right. So the only other guy that could have done that to the blood is the sheriff guy. So like he's the most likely, yeah, yeah, he's the most likely culprit. So they're going to leave him for last. Okay. And then they test Clark. Clark passes the test. So at this point they're all like, yeah, so you're a murderer. You just killed the guy. You know, he wasn't the thing, but I mean, again, he was at that point in time, who who knows, right? He he tried to attack him. So yeah, and I don't, I don't feel that bad about it, but yeah, it sucks that (laughs) he killed a person. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I think Childs passes, um, Nalls passes, uh, who the hell else is left at this point? Uh, it is at that point, Palmer. Yeah, Palmer the and, the, and the sheriff are the only one left, right? Right. On the chair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, so, you know, he's like kind of focusing on, on the, the, the sheriff that he's going to be the one that's the thing. So that's why he's doing him last. Um, so he goes to test Palmer and of course, the blood jumps up and screams, right? So, yep. which means that Palmer is the thing. Like, you know, you didn't see that one coming because, again, it, the the scene right before that, he's the one that points out that the head was running. Yeah. So it's very odd that if he was the thing, why would he purposely call out his comrade? <laughs> right? Why wouldn't he let it just run away? Because self preservation, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm I distracting guess. myself," and here's that real, his real thing. Right, right. Um, yeah, he's still attached by the sheriff, and he's like freaking out, like get right. him away from me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So yeah. So they, yeah, he's still tied to the thing. Of uh, yeah, they basically they flame him. You know, they they kill him down, um, and then they finally untie the sheriff after he screams at him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah. So at this point, it's um, yeah, it's it's McCready, it's Child. Um, who's Keith David? I don't think we mentioned that, but um, so it's Childs, uh, it's the sheriff guy, and then uh, Nulls, the cook dude. Yeah, I think that's everybody that's left, right? Correct. Yeah, so then they decide to go out um, and check on Blair because Blair is still out in the tool shed. Like he was not here for any of this. And he didn't have the blood sample. So, right. Yeah. So they're no going to go idea. out and do the sample. And, uh, and here's, like, again, a dumbass thing that they do. There's four of them and they decide to leave one guy alone in the place. And then three of them go like it could have easily done two. And I don't know why they didn't do two and two. Anyway. So yeah, the sheriff, uh, McCready and childs all go to, um, or no, and Nalls. 
Yeah. And Childs is the one that stays behind. Yeah, he's on guard. Yeah. Yeah. So they go to um to the tool shed and uh Blair isn't there. Yep. Um and they, they find out they find a hole in the floor of the tool shed. They go down there and they had been building a spaceship yes. down in the basement, you know, with the pieces of the helicopter and, and the, the snow the snow plow right, drivers, right. whatever you want to call them, cats. Right. Whether there's snow cats, essentially. Right. Yeah. So all that stuff is is down there. Um and he's like building something. So obviously like Blair is one of these now too, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, so they decide to they basically blow that up. Yes. They blow up the spaceship. Um and then they go and as they're going, you know, back they see Childs kind of run out into the storm. Yes. Uh for whatever reason. They don't know why, but you know, he he runs off um uh, and he's gone. And so then they go back into the building, and at this point they realize, like, yeah, we're just screwed. Like, we're nobody's gonna make it out of this alive. So we just have to blow up this entire place and just let the whole thing room, burn. Room by room by room, going right. through, right? Just yeah. destroying everything. Yeah, we need to destroy everything and burn everything so that this thing doesn't get to the real world. Yep. Um. So yeah. So then they, they go room by room, and they're just like you know throwing uh, Molotov cocktails and and just lighting everything on fire, and and also throwing dynamite in there to blow it up. Power generator, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And then they make it down to the generator room, um, and then that's when they're going to set up all this dynamite with, like, an actual old-school, like, plunger detonator. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, they're putting all the uh, dynamite around, um, and they slowly lose contact with everybody else. So, yeah, you lose the uh, the sheriff guy, and you lose um, Nulls, who are both down there. Uh, they both stop responding. So at this point, McCready goes, oh, shit. <laughs> so That's he she tries to, like, wire up the detonator really fast. But, you know, then the, the thing comes out of the, uh, you know, runs through the floor, knocks him off to the side, takes the plunger, um, you know, under the floor, and then bursts up. And you see, like, it was like, I don't know. I don't even know how many people would have been a part of it at that time. But it's a lot. <laughs> it's like a tower of flesh, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's a tower of flesh. There's like a dog that comes out. Like you see multiple heads. So it's like all kinds of people kind of, you know, amalgamated into this thing. Yeah. Every piece of DNA it's taken, it's now all in that one body. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, they realize they can't let this thing escape. No heat, you know, no heat, it, you know, try to run away. So we know it can get frozen. And that's what they're doing. Like they, they realize they're not going to. Right. Yeah, so then, yeah, everybody's dead at this point except for McCready. Um, you know, he kind of eventually gets away from this thing and eventually blows up the whole compound and everything is exploded and on fire and, you know, everything's just destroyed. Yes. Um, so he's, he's the only one left. So he just kind of stumbles off, you know, under, you know, behind like one of the broken down parts of a building and just lays down essentially, um, you know, with a bottle of whiskey just to kind of drink himself, you know into right. a stupor before he freezes to death essentially yeah um and then as he's staring at the fire childs comes back out of the storm because he said um, he was chasing blair through yeah the storm. he said yeah he yeah. said he thought he saw blair that's why he ran out after him um but then he got lost in the storm and he couldn't find his way back until the big fire showed him the way back yes um, so, yeah, so he sits down, and so, of course, him and McCready are both kind of staring at each other, like, you know, distrustful of each other, right? Yeah, yeah. because, absolutely. I mean, obviously, if if Childs is a human, 
like, why would he trust McCready? He's the only one left, right? And yeah. McCready is like, you know, hey, uh, if I'm the only human and this guy just came stumbling out of a storm that nobody's supposed to be able to survive, like, of course they're not, right? Um, so, yeah, they both drink out of the bottle of whiskey. Um, and then they're uh, just kind of... Yeah. yeah, so they both drink out of the bottle of whiskey and then they just kind of, like, stare at each other, basically just accept death, and then the movie's over. Yeah, and we'll get to that last scene in the theory time. Right portion of this. Uh, so for you, I know this is high, high, high on your list of John Carpenter movies. Yes. Uh, your first thoughts when you saw it. So I don't know if you remember the first time you saw it. Oh Jesus! The first time. I mean, <laughs> I was a kid. I mean, I don't remember exactly when, but I mean, we're talking late eighties, probably. Yeah. Uh. I remember, I mean, I remember being afraid at the time yeah, because, well, I mean, because, you know, anything that's a monster that can like change its form and can be anywhere. Um, right. I mean, that's scary, right? Cause it could be anywhere. It could be anyone at any time. You never know. Yes. Um, so I remember being scared of that, but I, I, I mean, fear was a lower on the list. I mean, more, it was just a awesome movie. It was just a fantastic, cool movie. I loved Kurt Russell at the time. Um, I still love Kurt Russell. I think he's an amazing, <laughs> amazing actor. Um, and, uh, you know, so at the time it was, it was one of my very favorite and it's, and it's remained one of my very favorites, um, right. since then. So, I mean, it, it must've made a hell of a, an impression. I mean, I've rewatched it so many times since then. It's very hard to remember the exact first time, but I know I loved it. I know that. Well, I mean, let's face it. Do you think, was this your first body horror movie? Uh, I mean, that I can remember, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, would, I might have seen something else that didn't affect me quite so much. But, I mean, this would be the first one that definitely had an effect on me. That's for, that's And it, very it was sure. done perfectly. Yes. Like, yes, the, the yeah, my first, like, I don't remember the first watch, but I know I watched it before there was an episode of X-Files, essentially the same thing. They go to, like, an ice station in Antarctica. They were drilling. And they found like some worms that could infect people, and that was the same type of scenario. Is they couldn't escape without anyone, you know. They had to like look at like people's spines because the, the worms were attaching to the spine or the brain, and they had to figure out who was human, and who wasn't infected. You know, it's a very now it's a trope. Like right. the like the cave had that. I don't know if you ever watched the cave. They came I out during. I your, don't believe I watched the cave. Your 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 decline of horror movies, but it was like. You know, they go into a cave, there's a parasite that you don't know if it's human or not. Same type of scenario. So now it's become a trope um, at this point. Um, but I knew of the thing well before the X-Files episode. So yeah, the first time watching it for me, I couldn't tell you, but it was like oh, I think time I was into horror it was like a well-known movie. Like, it's a huge movie. Um, and obviously now that we're you know, we're watching it now. It's 40 years, and it's still a huge thing. Like, it's becoming more and more popular. Like, the resurgence has been amazing for this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, as far as I can remember, it's always been, you know, considered, you know, in high regard by just about everybody <laughs> that, right. that, I've, that I've talked to, or at least definitely in, you know, both sci-fi and horror communities, like, everybody loves it. Right. But, I mean, I'd say in the late 90s ish, we watched that. You know, oh, that's where we're trying to do all the CGI crap 
that people are going, oh, this isn't good. It's dated itself. And I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it then. I don't agree with it now. No, I mean, I mean, can you look at some of the things and, you know, see that they're fake? Sure. I mean, but yes. you look at there's so much of it is done so well that even on today's FX standards, it still looks good. I mean, it still a, looks great. Everything's a character. You can tell the emotions, you can tell the fear and the puppetry and the everything that was in it was perfect. Right. And still is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically... um all practical effects. I think the only thing that's not practical effects, I think there's a couple of stop motion scenes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like nothing is, I don't think, nothing is CGI. I don't even think they had CGI of that level back then. So, right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, rewatches, this is something I don't rewatch as often as I should. Um, this say, one, I'm pretty sure I, I think I rewatch it at least once a year. I mean, I it, it should be on my list for once a year. Let's go with that. I'd probably rewatch it maybe every two years, but it's definitely something I rewatch a lot to the point where I don't think there's not much I miss anymore that we've scrutinized it enough on the rewatches. I mean, are you catching anything new when you rewatch um, it? This time I did. I think I think because I was most of the time when I put it on. Um, I have a tendency to kind of do other things um, in the background because I just because I've seen it so many times. I do focus on it quite a bit, but I do other things. This time I was like focused on watching every minute of it. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of scenes with the dog that I was like, oh, did they add these? I don't remember these, but it was like uh, there's a lot of like long scenes on the dog just kind of like staring at people or things or just kind of like just sitting the there menacingly. Yeah. Right. You're like, I don't remember. I didn't remember that stuff from before i mean obviously very minor thing but um i was like i wonder if this is like some kind of special edition <laughs> right yeah but, uh, it, it's not it just it just i just didn't remember those particular scenes that's all right like i said the only thing i didn't remember was honestly the spaceship at the very beginning i don't think it just it's just so minor that like you, you see it, you happen, and you don't realize that it's been... Because they said the spaceship's been there for thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years to be as deep as it was in the ice. Did they say maybe like 100,000 years? Yeah, I think they said it was pre-Cambrian, which essentially means it predates man. So Right. So yeah, it's 100,000. Right. Year, well, man that we know now, not the end falls, but still pretty interesting. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's something to rewatch. Um, I don't know if we'll get into we'll, we'll probably get into the thing that came out in 2011 at some point and how this ties in and what you think of it and all that stuff. Uh, well, essentially, yeah, that one is just, it follows the Norwegians right before it gives the reason yeah. if we see the, the first, you know, combined person, we see them taken out of the eyes. And I'd say both movies combined are a perfect kind of, other than, you know, the giant creature running around in the original the thing that think from our thing from outer space, whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. That it was a plant. He's a giant plant. Right. But I mean, every other aspect of it was there between the two movies. That the fully explanation of it. So this was much more mystery, much more right. paranoia, which was amazing. Yes. 
Um, so what about highlights for you in this movie? If you had to pick like one or two highlights. Um, I think the, the thing I like the most about this movie is just, um, I mean, just the, the acting, the way that everybody interacts with each other. And just the way that you, when you're watching the movie, you generally get that feeling of just like heightened paranoia as it goes along. Right. Yeah. Like you, you really feel all those guys and like, you know, how paranoid and afraid and desperate they are as time goes on. Like as it, as it goes on, you feel the desperation with everybody there. I mean, a fantastic job acting like all around pretty much. Right. Um, of just everybody and how strung out they're getting and like, you know, how the, nobody trusts each other. And like, some people are breaking under the pressure. Some people are, you know, you know, going, you know, getting hard and, you know, cold hearted, you know, as, as it goes along, you know, just all the different ways that people are reacting and what they're doing. Or just getting high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That too. Right. I mean, that's a way it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so you think it was good that, you know, does you think it's enough that it puts you into that, like thinking if I was in their situation, how you would react to all of it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Would um, you be and- you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be McCready because McCready like is gets mad at the chess machine and then pours his drink and breaks destroys like- destroys their entertainment that right. no one else can ever have again. Yes. Right. I'm like that it's just. Annoying- it's just a chess machine, dude. Right. Well, okay, okay. This is a 1982 chess machine, so it's like a giant computer, right? Um, but yeah, no, I would not do that. Yeah, I mean the 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 acting spot on the tension, the the atmosphere, the sense of isolation. Right. Is I think another there. thing. Yeah, another thing I really appreciate about this movie is nobody really does anything stupid. Um, I mean, there's people that panic and do stuff out of desperation, right? Um, right. But there's like a lot of, uh, I'd say probably most horror movies, if people just make these boneheaded decisions, yes. you do just dumb things and you're like, what are you doing? Like, you really don't, you really don't get that in this movie at all. It's like, everybody does the things that you, you know, would expect people to do in that situation, right? Level-headedness. You know? I mean, some, some paranoia, but yeah, I mean, it's not over the top. Like some guys just can go. I'm running away. See ya. Yes, they made stupid decisions about leaving a soul guy behind, which is very tropish, especially in this body snack, body invasion, essentially, thing that you would never leave one guy. Yeah. But I mean, even then, when I was thinking about it this time, I'm like, okay, well, at this point, they have tested all four of them and they know for sure that all four of them are human, right? Yeah. Um, and if they are going to go after Blair, who's the only person left that they don't know is human or not, I would say it would probably be safer for them to have more people with them to take care of Blair than it would be to guard the compound. Because at, well, at this point they thought Blair was in that tool shed. Right. So, I mean, obviously when they found out that Blair wasn't in the tool shed, yes, everything changed and they realized they made a mistake. But I think before that point, when you're weighing the options there, you know, where would you rather have that extra man? Would you rather have the extra man there helping you subdue a guy that could potentially be this alien thing? Or would you rather have him sitting back at the base where you know nobody is at because you just tested everybody? I'd rather have him be there just to line of sight because, you know, we saw how quickly they are. A- I got quicker in the assimilation. Right. As it learned to assimilate humans, I feel like it got quicker at it. So I just, for paranoia's sakes, and we've played the board, the tabletop game of this, right? <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> Which is interesting. Um, that you wouldn't 
you need to keep everyone with you. So therefore, no one could ever leave and there go, hey, I now suspect you because you were gone by yourself for 30 minutes with who knows what else is out there. Yeah. But I mean, again, I don't agree with the decision. I don't, you know, again, my initial <laughs> of saying that, hey, you probably should have left two and two is still stands. But yeah. I was trying to to see like, okay, I get I get the thinking of taking an extra guy with you to go to the only other guy that you think may potentially be an alien at that point. And he, they were correct, right? Yeah. So. All right. So blow points for you. Are there any? Um, I mean, in this movie, um, there really isn't. I think the only low point that I can think of is that if you speak Norwegian, yes, the movie is ruined for you almost immediately in the first because, couple of minutes, right? Because the Norwegians, when they're screaming Norwegian at the at the people, they're clearly saying in Norwegian, "It's not a dog. It looks like a dog, but it's not a dog. It killed a bunch of people. You need to stay away from it. It's dangerous." Like saying that kind of shit. Right. So, like, if you speak Norwegian, you pretty much know the plot of this movie immediately. I think right. that sucks if you don't speak Norwegian. Obviously, I don't speak Norwegian. I don't think you speak Norwegian. <laughs> no. So, it wasn't a ruin for us. But, I, I, again, if you would, you know, play it for uh, you know, somebody who speaks Norwegian, it might be ruined for them. I think that's the yeah. only low point I can think of. Everything else is pretty spectacular, this movie. I don't I don't really have many comments. Uh, do you, okay. I, I know your your love of, of Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Um do you feel like for him being a pilot, do you feel like, not that he had powers, but do you feel like he was very Mary Sue-ish? Like he was able to do all these things that are being portrayed as like the brightest and the smartest and the toughest, the hardest. Do you feel like that was too much for his character? Um, I don't, I don't really think he was like the toughest or the bravest or anything. I think at, the point where he had to take control was at the point where they kind of turned on him. I mean, before that point, he was content to just go in his shack and drink himself into a stupor. Like he didn't really want to be a part of the group. The reason that he became that leader and took over was because they turned on him. And the one guy tried accusing him of being the thing. And so basically to save his own life, he had to take matters into his own hands. Okay. And I, so I don't. I don't think he necessarily was. You know, he's the toughest, strongest, smartest guy. I don't think that's why he became the leader. I think it was because he had to take control at that point in order to not be taken over. Because again, everybody was freaking out and desperate at that time. And you know, if there's any reason to suspect someone, they would turn on you. Right. I like, mean, I guess computer harm. He poured mm-hmm. his drink into his. Yes, that is not unforgivable. Only, I agree with not you. Not only, like one of their sole things of entertainment on the entire base, right, is a chess machine, and he poured like good whiskey into it. And he had a stupid hat. He had a okay. Cop. Well, it was like well, a. It was like a Australian, like a, Australian a prospector. It was like a, a like a, a yeah. Wild West prospector. Hat. Right. Do we ever find out what they're doing at their station? Um, I mean, it's just the station. I mean, who knows? Who knows what they're usually, doing? Usually, it's a scientific expedition where they're drilling into the ice. And that's kind of the implication on the, on the Norwegian side is that they were drilling into the ice for ice samples and stuff like that, and they found the ship. I don't think it's ever right. said what they're doing there. No, I mean, but obviously they had a lot of science equipment there. 
Um, they had the one guy who was a medical doctor, but also like a scientist. And they also and they had Blair, who was obviously like their head scientist guy. Yeah. Um, they had like the, I think three of the other dudes were just like, like you know, scientists or like lab assistant guys. Right. Um, I mean, there was a, quite a few of them. So they they were doing sciencey things. They they don't say what they are. Um, right. I mean, there was other people who had a job. Like Knowles was like the cook. Yeah. Um, the sher- the sheriff guy was like the administrator. Um, McCready was the helicopter pilot. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I think Palmer was like the, uh, the, whatever the bulldozer driver or something. Right. He, he was like, take, the, take the scientists out to go right. to the areas and be their protection and their driver and, and right. assist when needed. Right. But yeah, I think mostly they were there doing sciencey things, but yeah, they don't say, it, so I, 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 honestly, it doesn't matter. They, were, were they testing ice or some shit? I mean, who knows? That's what they're for, right? Right. All right. So, theory time mm-hmm. right there's we we don't be the first ones we don't be the last ones to discuss the ending. right is who's the thing who's not the thing are they both the thing are they both human blah blah blah, blah, blah right right so you know there's that big speculation is that we don't see child's breath right right we see McCready's. And there's a theory that McCready purposely gave him because they were filling up, let's face it, McCready's alcohol with kerosene. And the one theory is that he gave Childs kerosene to drink because the thing wouldn't know the difference between alcohol and kerosene. Right. And, you know, then talk about, like, the, the, that he didn't have the glimmer of the fire in his eyes that, you know, I think the biggest thing is that McCready is human Childs is not do you follow that or what's your take on um I mean it's ending? it's open-ended I mean if you're looking at strictly from an odds perspective <laughs> I mean what are the odds that that you know Childs is a thing it's probably a pretty good odds yeah um but again if, if he was the thing why would he just leave right you know what I mean? Like, like Blair is obviously the thing and he's, they're like trying to protect themselves or again, you know, because, you know, Palmer called out the other dude's head when he was running away. Maybe there's some kind of like weird, like only rivalry. One part of me needs to survive. And if I'm the bigger part, I will sacrifice the smaller part. Right. And so, yeah, maybe when they all went out to go talk to Blair, they were like, okay, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to find out Blair's the thing and kill him. So I'm going to go out in the middle of the this storm so that if they do kill him, then at least I will survive. I mean, that's that's a possibility. Well, because the idea was is gonna, they, they, they did all these things to put it back into hibernation. Like, okay, if it, we can't kill it, at least it will freeze to death not necessarily death times, it survives or gets right. rejuvenated, that it has no place to go. So the idea was it's to go back into hibernation and back into the ice to the next things that find it. Because eventually somebody's gonna come back to the station and find right. it and then take it back. Right. So but on your personal opinion, do you think that do you do you call this a bad ending? We discussed this before. Is it a bad ending? Because they're both screwed the matter yeah i mean again if if they're both human which is uh, is ultimately like the the nicest of endings right? right yes they're both human they're essentially going to watch their facility burn down and then slowly freeze to death correct 
end, <laughs> right? This because again, the, the 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 winter just started. I mean, at the very at the bare minimum, you have what three four months of no contact. Yes. So, and they again the beginning of the movie, it's clearly stated that this is the first week of winter, which means like what another what week has gone by, right? Since yeah. the beginning of that, so you're talking to what the another three months. So yep. you'd have to somehow survive without shelter, food, <laughs> or heat for three months, which is not possible. So, yeah, they would just die. Um, and if either one of them is the thing, I mean, eventually they're going to attack the other one and probably both be the thing. Yep. You know, because it'll just wait until they're, you know, you're weakened or, or sleeping. And then you're both going to be the thing. And then you're both freeze or, I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter. But, yeah, I mean, there's no good ending to that. There's no good right. way out. And obviously the last thing is the thing hibernates and someone comes three months, picks them up, and then we go into the apocalypse. Correct. The, the, yeah. the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worst case scenario, which if you go by percentage of endings, is the most likely to happen. Yes. Yep. Yeah, because obviously, yeah, if, if either one of them is a thing, bad ending. If both of them are a thing, bad ending. The only time there's a... <laughs> Again, it's a bad ending, but it's not a bad ending for the rest of the world. It's just for them. And that's if right. both of them are human. Correct. Correct. I know there's never been a definitive answer. You know, that is purposely left vague. Right. I, but, um, I mean, I think, I, I don't know, the breath thing doesn't really make sense to me. Because if it copies a, a person completely, it would have the same breath. Yes. So, I mean, I don't understand how people are saying, well, you can't see him breathe. That, that doesn't make sense. Right. Like, or he would, the, they would still need to breathe. I mean, that's a part of it. I mean, it, it, it's not like they would just stop breathing. Again, and, and they're also communicating. Like, our vocal cords work by air being exhaled out of our throat over the vocal cords. That's how we communicate, right? Yes. So, like, air would still have to be leaving his body. His body is obviously still warm, or else it would have been frozen solid. So, there, there would have been air i mean whatever it, it might have just been a mistake of filming you know it doesn't really matter but i don't think that matters i think the whole thing of him giving him kerosene is a strong possibility right because it would know and he didn't drink from that bottle mccready didn't right he gave him a different well yeah it's it's yeah but again it could be assumed that he took a drink before then yeah i mean again it could go either way who knows yeah it's an it's an open ended, which is again by the odds is most likely going to be bad, right? And for, here we, for the world, and definitely bad for for them, right? And here we are, forty years later. Like I said, we're not the first; we're not going to be the last. Discussing that, right? I do. Do you want them to ever do an actual sequel where we get the answer, or do you want to leave it where it is? Um. I don't know. Well, okay. If you do a sequel at all, you're answering a question. Yes. Right. You're if you're doing a sequel at all, then at least one of them would. Well, not necessarily. I guess because they're talking about how those burnt bodies still had activity in them. Yeah. So, like, even if you know, unless you like vaporized every single cell in all those bodies, which is not likely, because some of them were burned outside. Um, so, I mean, you could very easily say both of them were human, both survived, and still have a sequel with the thing because it could come from those bodies. So, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, I guess he could have a sequel. It would, again, it would depend greatly about how it's done. 
Yes, I mean there would is... have to like it would have to be certain people involved. <laughs> well, be, you he's know, talked. John Carpenter's talked about coming back to this very recently, and he can't. I mean, if he wants to come back, that's cool. I mean, he hasn't made a movie in like a decade, right? But I mean, yeah, if he wants to come back, come on back. <laughs> you, here's a question: Do you think? Would you rather it be? Neither Childs nor McCready come back, and we just get the answer and call it a day, and just take on what's next. Or do you want to see them come back? I think the interesting thing would be if they don't answer the question, if they leave that part unanswered. Yeah, you know what I mean, and just deal with it moving forward. But again, again, leave that open ended. Did it come as a result of one or both of them being the thing, or did it just come from? a body of one of those things that wasn't completely destroyed. Right. Who knows? I think, I think it would be better if they left it open. I think that would be a, a much better start to it. Because otherwise you got them coming in. And I mean, how old are they now? Oh, like 70. Right. I mean, you get, you know, then you get like another Harrison Ford scenario <laughs> where he's doing movies he should not be doing. Yeah. All right. Gonna be so, like, I love Harrison Ford, but come on, man. I know. Let it rest. All right. So, you know, for for each of these movies, as, as you know, we'll tell everyone here that we, we do our number out of 10. And we found it appropriate not to do the same thing for each movie, where each movie is going to have its own ranking system. So out of 10, as we normally do here. Um, but for this one, we're doing Biles of Kerosene out of 10. Uh, so, Salem, what is number of Biles of Kerosene out of 10 do you give this movie? Uh, 10 Biles of Kerosene out of 10. This is just... The, the pinnacle of the horror art, I would say. And also the pinnacle of the sci-fi horror art, which yes. would be my favorite subgenre. So, right. yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, in anyone's list, this should at least be in the top 10. I mean, for me, it's probably, I mean, horror, it's probably in the top three. But, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I, I, yeah, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 for kerosene models just because, I'd say it's one of the best introductions to body horror. One of the best, strongest candidates in John Carpenter's lineup that we got, by far. Um, and great sci-fi horror, and just the atmosphere, the, the paranoia is, is very there. Very well-written masterpiece, I'd say. Even, for even being a remake. <laughs> Of yeah, movie. right. Well, I, again, I mean, but uh, I mean, yeah, every everything about this movie is is it, it like it transcends genre pretty much just yeah. because of how well it's done. Right. And like, you know, if you like horror, if you like sci fi, if you like dramas, I mean, you like any of those things. There are there are things to like in this movie. It's just yes. it's great all around. Yeah. And it's, you know, that that's this blurs that line between sci fi and horror so well. Oh, I guess I guess that would be my my one low point I forgot to mention is that there is no women in this movie at all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and even if you watch like the special features, um, there is only one woman in the entire like special features like um, you know documentary kind of thing. Yeah. There's one, and she was the one who designed the miniature of the spacecraft. That was so, it. <laughs> this is this is his movie after Halloween two, correct? He went from um, Halloween two into this. I don't think anything made one. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think so. Because yeah, Halloween was seventy eight, and this was well. I mean, there might have been something in between there. Could this have been a Halloween anthology? Um. <laughs> well, okay. the The fog and Escape from New York were both in between Halloween and this. Um, I think I think the fog could have been. The fog was eighty. Yeah. You think this could have been? Um. No, because there's no there's nothing Halloween about it. Uh, well, the plot though, it could have been. I guess Escape well, from New York wasn't there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the fog the fog is in eighty. Escape from New York is eighty one. This one's eighty. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, like you know, at least like in, in Halloween three, right? Yeah, it had nothing to do with Michael Myers, but at least it still had a Halloween theme. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how you would give the thing a Halloween theme. Unless it happens on Halloween, but it's not like they could celebrate Halloween at the at the North Pole or whatever they were. A bunch of dudes that have been sitting in the same place with each other for months are gonna dress up. I don't think so. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, re- there's no reason the- to impress each other. I mean, oh, no. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm sure at this point, if they wanted to impress each other, they they would have. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think I, again, I think the fog would be a better um, Halloween anthology entry than this would be. Yeah. Just because I think the fog could very easily be centered around Halloween. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um. So let's dive into the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I will I'll do my best in the recap of this one. You're not. Right. I mean, you. I can I can start if you want me to. I don't I don't mind. Um, it's essentially uh, let's you know this is what 1987. So we we have a couple movies after this. This is about you know five years obviously after the thing. Um, essentially what happens is we find out that there is a uh, priest played by Donald Presence. You know, what, he's investigating a death of a priest. Well, what ha- yeah, what happens is the priest dies, yes. um, and, and the priest had a meeting with the cardinal of the area, okay? Yes. Um, and they, But he, he apparently had something very important to tell the cardinal, but he died the day he was supposed to talk to him. Yes. Um, so they look through his belongings and they find this like locked box with a key uh, and they find his notebook and they find out that this priest was a member of the Brotherhood of Sleep, right. which is a brotherhood that has been completely separate from the Vatican. It's still a, a Catholic organization, but it's it's separated from the Vatican. So even the Vatican doesn't know what they were doing. And they were tasked with watching this uh, thing. Right. The, this, church. Right. So there's this old church um, that apparently has held been on the same location since the, I think they said the 16th century in, the, and they, in Los Angeles. Yes. Right. And they, and they tried to say that it was, oh, it was through um, uh, an agreement with the, the, the with the Spanish government at the time, because at the time there was no colonies. It was like they had people exploring the area in the U.S. I mean, definitely. Right. I mean, obviously, the, the native people were already here. But yeah, they apparently made a deal with the Spanish government to come to this new land where there was no uh, infrastructure or anything. And they built this church and this place to to hide this thing because they needed to hide it as far away from like people as they could. Right. And it's in the deep, deep underground of the church. Right. Right. 
Yeah. So uh-huh. this this one this priest was the last member of this Brotherhood of Sleep. All the rest of them were dead, and his uh, apparent last thing was he was going to talk to the cardinal about what was actually there. Yes. And actually bring the Vatican in, and because they didn't do that, Donald Pleasancy, I was kind of assigned to like investigate what was going on and to like to look at his church because he was like the only priest at this church, which is essentially like this little church in a, like a very very bad neighborhood, very run down, very decrepit. Right, I would say almost abandoned. Right, yeah. So yeah, Donald Pleasance goes down uh, in the basement and he sees like this uh, swirling like what big cylinder full of like green, green goo. Yeah. The, that, it's swirling. It looks like, you know, they have like, it's on like the magnetic plate. They have one of those magnets at the bottom that like would swirl it around and stuff like yes. that. And then, and again, because Donald Pleasance has the power to detect darkness when he's right. in, you know, a vicinity of it, he immediately detects great darkness coming from this cylinder. So he knows that he has to do something about it. So, uh, it had the greatest liquid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, instead of like going to talk to the Vatican to get backup and support, he goes and talks to his old friend at the university who's like a theoretical physicist. Correct. Um, who is, uh, yeah, the, the, who is Egg Shen from um, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Uh, and I love the way that they talk to each other because they both have like one wide eye and one squinty eye. Yeah, but they're but they're opposite. So when they're staring at each other, they're like mirror images of each other. Yes. Um. So I love it. I love when they have those conversations. But yes. So essentially, he goes and recruits him to like go and check out this uh, cylinder and find out what it is or or what you know what's going on with it because there was like this the container that it's in. They don't know how old it is. It's super old. They need to figure out what it is, right? And, there's and then there's text. like and there's yeah, there's like this. Yeah, giant book that's written in like all these old timey languages that they need to like decode because well, multiple languages. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they said, it was like yeah, Latin and uh, and Greek and uh, like Aramaic, and I think they said I don't know something uh, other stuff, whatever. So they need to yeah. So they need to you know all kinds of people to figure out what's going on because again, the, this Brotherhood of Sleep guy, you think he would have planned ahead, right? Like he was obviously getting on in years. He would have been like, "Don't you have an apprentice? <laughs> Can't you like to write this down somewhere?" I mean, priest, I need an old priest, right? Yeah. So anyway, anyway, so yeah, poor planning on the Brotherhood of Sleep's part. Yes. Um, um, so, so yeah. So basically, the theoretical physicist guy who is uh, they kind of a, show that they were friends before because they did some kind of like tour together, like some kind of like lecture speaking tour. Right. They have this. They were they were kind of going hand to hand with the the theological side and the you know the science side that they that they respected each other's fields enough that they're able to work together with faith and science and try to help explain the world as a like a as a as a duo right that's right that's why i took it as yeah that's i mean yeah that's fair i mean, I mean, I mean again i'm just getting at the point that they knew each other before this time that's why the priest went to him for help right is because they knew each other so this theoretical physicist guy who's a professor at a university um he decides that he's going to go check it out and he just drafts all of his graduate students which um, range from 25 to 50 in their ages. I understand. Okay, yeah, older. they all look they all look like they're way older than college age. Yeah, the main guy with the mustache, he looks 45 at least. Yeah, yeah, he looks 45 <laughs> and like okay, I'm, I'm just going to go out this like the dude is creepy, 
right? Yes. Like, I mean, they show him, like, the first, like, ten minutes of the movie, he keeps, like, stalking the one girl. Like, he just keeps, yes. like, oh, Cat- it's, it's just creepy what he does. Yeah, Catherine. Like, they just, right. like, hey, I got stuff to show you. I want disgusting over dinner. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it was just, it was very bizarre. And then, like, yeah, and, and later on, they end up, like, hooking up, but I was just like, oh, no. Yeah. It's it's it was it. the 80s, and he had the mustache. Right. We, we discussed this before. It's the 80s. Apparently. Slash. That's, that was the sex symbol of that, the matter how old you are. She's probably 20 years younger than him. Yeah, but amazingly, yeah. Well, even though he had the like the ultra '80s mustache, like his outfit wasn't that bad by '80s standards. And I would just notice that because they showed a guy walking past in like acid-washed Cavaricis. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, those are terrible. And then they showed him, and he's just wearing like a pair of khakis and a polo. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of sort of like a timeless <laughs> look, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, he, at least he wasn't wearing acid washed Camarichis oh. like some other people in the movie were. Um, yeah, so anyway, so they, they uh, recruit all these people um, and they're going to bring them back to this little church in the, in the middle of nowhere. And kind of like do uh, like a graduate study, essentially. Right. They were yeah. living there, that they were sleeping there, all that stuff. Just right, yeah, they movie. got, right, they got everybody there. They got, you know, physicists they got you know biochemistry they got um you know like language decryption yeah, yeah they got like all these people with all these different mathematician right yeah they got all these people in all these different um you know realms of, of knowledge and they're all gonna like study this thing and kind of figure it out yes and so they all get there and they all kind of like set things up and like as they get there like things are already starting to go to the weird direction, right? right? Like, like right after they get there, like all these homeless people just like start like lining up outside and just like stare at them. Right. And there's a lot of weird scenes of like bugs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everywhere. Right. Well, and, and they realize that they start as they're, as they're sleeping there, they start having these weird dreams. And, you know, that was the part of the brotherhood of sleep. They're able to communicate through dreams. Right. So they're like they're going there after like the, that night. They're going when well, you're having weird dreams of this shadowy figure coming through this doorway, and like oh that's just you know everyone's having that dream. They all wake up from that. It's like a nightmare for them. They're just waking up and you kind of hear kind of these things of you know one night in the dream, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they start deciphering the text. They're using this awesome computer program that. You know, we have the one woman who's translating the, the text into English kind of line by line. It's very biblical writings. Right. And then you have, you also find out that they're using the computer to talk about the books and the stuff there. That they're just calculating equations nonstop on two screens. So it's kind of, you know, they're side by side. So you have the biblical text being translated, then you have equations being done by the computer still showing that parallel of a hold handing of faith and science right well yeah they're also showing that um like these equations and stuff are being pulled out of this book that's like two thousand years old right they said so, these, these equations wouldn't have existed these different rituals right. would not have existed thousands of years ago right and yeah they're like you know basically basically leading to the point where you know like something bigger is going on here Right. Um, and then they, as they're like decoding the stuff, like later on, they all kind of like, 
you know, as things are coming out as to like what's going on, like some of the like more religious people are getting like uncomfortable about it. Some of the people that are not religious at all are also getting uncomfortable about it. Like nobody likes what's what's coming out of these translations and what they're finding. Um, I know like one of the translations actually um, says that that Jesus was an extraterrestrial alien. Yes. That came down and like, I mean, there was like all kinds of like just weird, odd stuff. That, um, he was, that he was, Jesus Christ was, and they say, executed, crucified for trying to warn people of Earth that this was, you know, Satan essentially trapped in here. So he's killed for heresy. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to say, like, this this particular container with this goo in it right. um, essentially has... Uh, what they're, what they're kind of translating as the, you know, remains of the Prince of Darkness. Right. Um, and it was buried in the Middle East, in the ground somewhere, in a hidden location um, for a very long period of time. And then at some point, um, it was not safe there anymore. So they decided to move it to the New World. You know, there's not at, people, essentially. Yeah, which at that time, there was no one there so that no one would know what was going on. Yeah. And essentially, it was you know, protected by this brotherhood of sleep from then until the present day when the last guy that was in the brotherhood of sleep died without telling anyone what was going on. Right. And we start seeing liquid escaping and it was going upwards, right? So it was going, instead of falling down, it was going up into the ceiling, dripping Mm -hmm. into the ceiling um, at that point. And then we can get into, you know, they're having these uh, we, we see the professor and the priest talking about the yin and yang of science and religion that you know they're going okay well for every mat- piece of matter there is antimatter right that, so this is the yin to the yang if you and they're going if God has to exist and therefore Satan has to exist they're you know theorizing all that together of matter versus antimatter and that evil comes from the realm of antimatter or anti-gods at this point. Um, right, so then while that's happening, uh, Susan, who's Susan? Yeah, Glasses. who? Glasses. We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. jokes throughout the movie. Yeah, she, uh, still... she was originally a radiologist. I think she yeah. was supposed to be scanning the container, or doing right. x-rays on the container, but yeah. <laughs> Apparently nobody knows who she is. Right. Glasses. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, she gets some of the best liquids shoved thrown into her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Right? Ecto, ecto-cooler. Ecto, I mean, ecto-cooler is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of uh, Kool-Aid product placement in this movie, too. Well, yeah. Like, oh. look, there were a bunch of adults, and they had, like, their supplies in the supply room, and there was, like, Kool-Aid. <laughs> like, really? Right, you can't, you can't drink the Kool-Aid even though it wasn't Kool-Aid. Right. Um, so she starts kind of attacking others. Well, yeah, yeah. she gets sprayed and it essentially, like, uh, possesses, her. possesses her. Yeah, and right. she, like, uh, doesn't need her glasses anymore. Right. And her hair now stands on it. Yes. <laughs> um, and Yeah, and then but some some people, yeah, she's like trying to spray, but some people she's just like killing, like the one big like creepy dude with the skullet. Yeah, um, yeah, she just like broke his neck. That was it. Um, well, he she slightly turned his head to the left. 
Well, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Yeah, just like the way they made the noise, and like, oh, he's dead. It's a head, head you know, neck cracking sound. Um, yeah. yeah. So at, at this point, after you know, it gets out as the like, okay, this is like they're saying this is you know, uh, essentially Satan or Satan's father is living in this container. So a lot of people are like, this is ridiculous. Like, I just want to go home. Well, so, like, no, the guy goes, "This is crazy. This is caca." Yeah, I was I'm like, like what? "What is I'm that like, mean?" What? And not yeah. only does he say that, he it's... actually repeats it after they leave. And he yes. goes, "Caca." I'm like, right. I'm just going, really? "What the hell?" I'm like, "Why am I walking at that point?" I'm like, "Like that? That's so out of place." Just to remember, just to remember that specifically, like it's insane. Like, right. Like instead of saying bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't yeah, like I mean like yeah, the last time I heard caca I was like two years old or something. I mean it was Yeah. yeah uh, whatever. But um yeah, so yeah, after he has an argument with a couple of the guys and the, the other guys decide that they're religious and they want to stick around and figure out what the truth is, this other guy's like, you know, this is this is caca, I'm out of here. He's um <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, he gets like attacked and and stabbed to death by one of the homeless people yes um alice cooper no it was alice no, cooper no not that it was it was a lady it was like the bag lady that was in the very beginning that stabbed him oh, with we, like half of garden shears oh we, the missed, other dude, we missed another death the other yeah the other dude death. with glasses well it was right before that the other dude with glasses who was like the one guy who was able to leave early yeah. I guess he was planning on leaving early. He just had to set up this stuff for his boss and he was out. And then he left and then yeah, Alice Cooper impaled him with the Yeah. The so. head street schizo is what he's credited as, but he's essentially yes. just like the homeless guy. Um yeah, he stabs him with a bicycle. Like Yes. Uh, it was a bicycle that was broken in half and he stabs him with one half of the So he's just kind of like impaled kind of like at an angle because part of the bike's still against there, so he's just like bent over with a pipe coming through him. Right, right, yeah. So he, yeah, he, he's like the first one to go yeah. down, right? Um, but yeah, and, and as I mean, things just get progressively weirder as this is happening. Like there's scenes of like worms on the windows. Um, there's like ants all over the place. There's, I mean, it's yeah, this gross stuff is happening. But yeah, as as it progresses, and then um, uh, they keep having more Susan, the lady, yeah. yeah, Susan without the lady without the dreams. She goes after um. The one um, translator lady, yeah, um, like she lays down to try to go to bed, and he like she like crawls on top of her, and it's a really awkward scene. Like right? I mean, kiss, like, yeah, <laughs> but it's really awkward because she doesn't say anything. Like she's like crawling on top of her on the bed, and she's I mean she's looking at her like what the hell are you doing? But she's not like saying anything. Right, it's like she's not okay. saying don't get off me. She's like ooh, right. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. She's just like, I'm unsure how I should be reacting right now, so I'm just going to, like, freeze. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, she gets sprayed, so she becomes one of them, too. Yes. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, kind of slowly but surely, they're all, you know, changing over. Um, there's the one scene of the guy who got stabbed, the caca guy who got stabbed in the parking lot, like, is yelling at them and warning them that they're all going to die. Um, and then he like they're watching him melts. through the window. Yeah, he like melts, melts into bugs. Oh, yes. oh, I'm sure he loves it. <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, yeah, so he like melts into bugs, and then the one dude, um, like he gets taken over, but he seems to be like 
at least aware. at first, uh, kind of aware of what's happening to him. He just as he just can't control it. He's very um, he's very religious. We find right. out he's religious, and he realizes like he has enough humanity left in him to know he's possessed, that he's a danger. So he slits his own throat. Yeah, well, okay, he breaks a piece of a chair off, so it's just a jagged piece of wood. And then he's like stabs himself in the throat with this jagged piece Very of well wood. for just wood. Right, yeah. Um and but he actually survives that. Um well actually we don't know no. if he survives because he may not, who knows. But right. anyway, they try to save him. They put a bandage around his neck. Right. Um but then uh, yeah, essentially when he comes back he's not fully in control of himself but yeah he's like possessed but he's like it seems like his like mind or at least his facial expressions are not controlled right (laughs) because he's like yeah alternating between like laughing and crying right so he still has like i think the crying is the last bit of humanity realizing that him killing himself didn't work right he's now not controlled right yeah so like um yeah at, at this at this point is I, I think they, you know, like the people have either, you know, everybody thinks that people are leaving, but in reality, they're just getting killed and, and dragged right. away. And they can't um, escape because the, the right. vagrants have barricaded everything. So they're trapped right. inside. Right. And yeah, the, the, the people that are possessed choose this point to like basically attack everyone who's left. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the the guy with the broken neck comes back out who looks like he just like has a crick in his neck. I mean, he does not look like he's dead or anything. Right. Um, but, yeah, so it's yeah, it's that guy, the guy who stabbed himself in the throat. The two possessed um, girls, you know, come out yeah. um, and they're all they all try to fight him. And then they all kind of get get like trapped in like different areas. Like the priest, Donald Pleasance, gets locked in the boiler room. Yeah. that has a mirror on the wall for some reason. Yes. Um, but he's by himself. Um and then uh, Walter, Walter yeah. gets trapped in the closet of the room um, because it, well, one lady went to go to sleep. And then when she went to go to sleep, like the, essentially all the, the green goo, like all essentially, yeah, went into her body. And so like her body is all like swollen up, like it's full of right. water, like she's pregnant or whatever. Yeah. Um, so he gets locked in the closet of that room so he can watch her and see her, but he's all by himself. And the other two possessed girls are in there, like watching him in, in the closet. Um, and then everybody else who's still alive is in the other room. So it's, it's the main doctor guy, the main professor guy, um, mustache guy. Want to be Tom Atkins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all what it is. Yeah. So yeah, the professor <laughs> mustache guy, um, redhead, uh, Catherine, and then uh, that uh, the other like random dude who you know is going to die first. All right. Yeah. He's just like in the room with them. He yeah. does, I don't even know if he has a name, but he's just there. Right. Um. So yeah. So they find out that Walter's on the other side. They're like trying to dig a hole through the wall to get to him. Um. They're trying to like escape out through the window. You know, and they basically get chased back up because the you know the homeless people or the street schizos are are out there, so they can't get out. Right. Um, and they're essentially just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, there's an odd scene where the dude that stabbed himself in the neck goes into the, the room that the priest is at and just like stares at himself in the mirror for it feels like an hour. Yes. It's like alternating between like crying and giggling and like just over and over. Yeah. Um, and, and as, oh, as time goes by, like, uh, Walter is watching this lady, um, on the bed who is filled up with the green goo. She like basically absorbs the green goo and then kind of like melts. I mean, yes. she, like her face like becomes all like melty and bloody and 
and everything. She still maintains like human form, but like uh, like 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 burned by acid. Like her whole body was like burned by acid or something. It looks not good. Right. Um. So yeah, essentially. So they're you know they're trying to dig the hole in the wall. Um. And then when they finally get out, oh, there was another um, the one guy, Leahy, whatever his name was. The other guy, he ended up getting infected too. Right. But that was he got infected as they were all running into a room. So he was he's out in the hallway anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So yeah. So basically, they're all kind of trapped in there until this lady wakes up. You know, the acid burned lady wakes up, um, and then she kind of controls the two possessed ladies to go break the dude out of the closet. Yeah. Um. And she's now has like psychokinesis powers that can like move things with her mind. So she like breaks the door with her mind. Um, and then the other two are like trying to break all the, you know, through it the rest of the way. Yes. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a scene where they rescue him by pulling him through the thing. And then they all kind of, they try to leave out the door and the one doctor guy is there trying to spit acid at him and he spits it at the, you know, the extra dude who you knew was going to die first. Yes. Um, so he gets hit and dies. Mustache guy dodges the other shot. Yes. Um, skillfully. Um, so yeah, so they're kind of like, um, fighting at this point. Um, and then the, uh, uh, the acid burned lady goes in the room with, uh, the priest and the mirror on the wall. Um, and essentially she opens up like a portal to another dimension, like through this mirror. Yes. And then like, you know, sticks her arm in there and she ends up finding, you know, whoever is in there, but she, when pulls out the hand and it's like, obviously the hand of like Satan, it's like your typical, like red, skinned hoof looking claw hand thing yeah absolutely yeah so All it's like while donald plans is just standing like sitting there like cowering yeah well, he's like nothing. praying praying loud enough where we can hear him but somehow no one else can hear him right but he's still um, doing nothing <laughs> yeah right, yeah so yeah he comes out and he tries like you know whatever reciting some prayers at her and she just like psychokinesisly moves the boiler closer to him right but that's it. Like they kind of play off like he's trapped there. But I mean, I, like he didn't get hurt or touched or anything. Just like, yeah, whatever. Um. So yeah. So uh, she's pulling out the Satan's hand or whatever. They finally manage to get out the door. Um. You know. So it's mustache guy. Um. The professor and the the redhead Catherine. Catherine. Yeah. Um. So Catherine, they walk past this room. They see you know Satan's hand coming out of this glowing mirror. And she decides that she's going to save them. And she runs in and like grabs everybody and, and pushes them into the mirror. Right. And, and then, then the priest, you know, wakes up and says some weird prayer and then throws his ax at, at the, at axe. the mirror. Yes. Right. Oh, I, yeah, I forgot before that point, he tried attacking her with the ax. He chopped off her arm and it just immediately grew back. Yep. And then he chopped off her head and then she just put it back on. So it, right. it's a, yeah. So that's why he, just didn't do anything else but yeah after they after they all jumped through the mirror then he threw the axe at it and smashed it and then now so essentially they're all like trapped in this other dimension where satan is or whatever and we see catherine trying to you know she reach out to the other side of the mirror before it closes but obviously doesn't right yeah so they're all like trapped in this other water dimension (laughs) that they they are in the upside down the sideways Right. Yeah. So then, and then they go back to the dream that everyone was forced to have, um, you know, where it, it's very clearly 
uh, well, clearer now says that, you know, we're broadcasting this into your unconscious mind because we don't have the technology to transmit it to your conscious mind. Um, you know, like there's something's going to happen. You know, we're transmitting this from the year 1999. Um, you know, try to see if you can do something to stop it or whatever. Yeah. And then it just shows the front of the church and then out of the front door comes Catherine. Yes. And they say that they're transmitting this from 1999. So in, in this past, it would have been 12 years in the future. Correct. Um, yeah. And then yeah, and then it just kind of ends. I mean, I think the last scene is Mustache Man. Reaching into the mirror. Right. Well, yeah. he's well, going he, to he, touch the mirror. Yeah, but, it, fades but he, keeps, he keeps slowly moving his, he's moving his arm closer to the mirror, but moving his fingers farther away. <laughs> so, like, it looks like he's getting closer, but he's really not. And then before he's about to touch it, it cuts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, it's, again, a very open-ended uh, Correct. ending. So, where you don't actually know what the end is. Right. Um. First thoughts. I know we, we discussed off off this, but you haven't watched this until this, right? This uh, I've, I've, yeah, I've watched it until recently. I mean, it was it was before this, but it was not very long before this. It was it was a few months ago. Um, I was reading an article where somebody was talking about it, and I was like, "Oh, John Carpenter movie? I haven't seen. Let me see." And I, it was like I hadn't even heard of it up until that point. I don't know how. Um, because it was after one of my very favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China. It was, you know, came out in 86. This one came out in 87. It was right afterwards. Um, and yeah, I don't remember it at all. And then I watched it, you know, again, maybe, I mean, at the most six months ago. Yeah. Um, and then watch it again. So yeah, I've seen it twice now. But yeah, this was, yeah. So I'd, I'd seen it for the first time, you know, very recently. So what were your first thoughts on this? Um, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting that um, they had a lot of these like high-minded kind of philosophical like debates inside this movie, and I thought those are really, really interesting. Science, science you know? versus fate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of it's bullshit, but um, <laughs> I mean, enough of it, enough of it's interesting enough to like, you know, it, it was a little bit above, you know, the that time period, you know. Right. I, and yeah, I mean, I. I feel like I've seen at least part of this, but this was really my first watch that I can remember all the way through. I may have watched it in like 99, 2000, but just I was watching so much then, it just kind of washed over me, just didn't remember. But on this, you know, watch, I thought for 1987, they were essentially doing an end of days for the year 2000. It feels like to me. Because obviously, you know, 99, we had a whole bunch of end of days, we died demo, and you know, stigmata, and the coming of the Antichrist. But we had this in 1987, long before people were even really thinking about 1999 being the end of the millennium. And, you know, the stuff, the, the religious stuff that we got, that we actually got in 99. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And the philosophy, you know, the you know, philosophy debates. I, I like discussing science versus religion with people that are willing to discuss it. Yeah, I mean, again, and there's it's, that's, that's a hard, yeah, that's a hard <laughs> thing to find. I mean, um, I mean, I enjoy it a great deal too. But again, you have to find someone who is you know even tempered enough to not get upset. You know, um, right. on on both sides. To be fair, on both sides. Um, yes. You know, because a lot of people. You know, they just get upset. They just start repeating the same thing, and they won't actually engage in conversation. They just want to preach to you. And again, both sides. I'm not saying one or the other. I'm saying both sides are the same way sometimes. 
Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard to to get you know both sides even tempered enough to where it want to discuss it. And it seemed like, um, you know, they had like you know a theoretical physicist professor and a priest go on tour to lecture and talk. I know a lot of a lot of colleges did that. I know what one college by me did that, and it was really interesting. You know, just to see both sides of things and and see both sides getting along. I think is the most. Important. Oh, I definitely would have watched their discussions hands yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Would have loved to if that you know would love to do stuff like that. Um, you know, so this is, you know, kind of a full rewatch for you this year. This is probably the first watch through uh, and stuff like that. You know, do you, you know, with the first thoughts of rewatch, do you feel like we should have seen this sooner? Is, is I definitely involved? do. I yeah. definitely do. I, I uh, almost assuredly should have seen this sooner. I don't know how I did not. Again, it's like a lot of the same actors are from Big Trouble in Little China. Like, I don't know how I missed them. I have no idea how I missed them, especially John Carpenter. A lot of the same actors. A year later, I have no idea how I didn't hear of it, but I did not. It, it, yeah, it's it's just only you said the article. I've heard of it, but I never really thought much about it for some reason. I don't know why. I, I think rewatchability, this is something that I need to well, here's what it is. Here's what it is. I think it was because there's so many great John Carpenter movies. I assumed I knew all of them because I didn't think there could be any more good movies made by, <laughs> by one guy. Is probably honestly what it was. Or I was like, there's no way he made more good movies than that. Like I, I know I've seen all the good ones, right. and I just apparently I just did not. And yeah, I had to go back to his list and like made sure I've seen all of them. Right. And like I said, when, obviously when this came out, I wasn't watching horror movies. I was only a couple of years old mm. and the only thing I could think of why I would have watched this or not have watched it is you know going back to our very first conversation of was it in video stores when I was able to rent movies and it would have been it, it may have been there and that's when I would have watched it, it was only that time yeah but I mean look at the cover art and this this is the cover art that would have been on you know, in, in the movie store at that time period. Um, and it doesn't look all that intriguing kind of, yeah, I guess so. It's just like a church with like a guy's head melting into green goo going into the church. Right. Right. Yep. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Right. Yeah. So like (laughs) me as a young kid, like that would not have really stood out to me. So that's, I'm guessing that's why I'm, I'm sure I had to have seen the box. Right. Right. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. This is, this is kind of one of those gems that we don't really, that both of us really didn't know about. It. And it's a failure being, of my upbringing. <laughs> I don't recall this ever being like in the In Search of Darkness, two of them, that this was not clearly given as much love as it should. Especially no, on, no. that we, for us, have missed it for so long. You know, essentially. 35 years <laughs> yeah again I, I don't know how again it's between it's it came out in 87 it's between big trouble in little china and they live like two of my very favorite movies of all time i have no idea how i missed the yeah. one in between it doesn't make sense to me but yeah i mean so do you think this will go into your yearly rewatch at this uh, point i don't know about yearly but yeah definitely sooner i mean i've already, I've already watched it twice in the last like <laughs> six months so right that's fair I mean, this needs <laughs> to go on to my list, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. You know, 
kind of touched on this highlights, you know, the, the big debate for, for me, the big debate between religious and science. I always find it interesting. I like to poke the bear on both sides of it. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, I lean one way more than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously science aspect of it. But the idea it was intriguing enough, you know, it's kind of like the, like I said, end of days, before end of days stuff, where essentially that's what I was viewing it as, like the dead rising back. You know, that the, the vagrants or schizos were the first to be enamored by it. They started having like the pustules and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and that's definitely the highlight for me, is just because of that debate and everything involved. And, you know, just, just analyze it from two different sides. Science wise, you know, what is this limit? It's very, there's a big mystery to it. And I think they tackle both sides of it really well. I think they do. Because, I mean, if, if you look, I mean, again, oh, this has got to be my high point. It's again the same thing. I'll agree with you, but I'll, I'll, I'll expand on a different point. Um, <laughs> it's, essentially, they're, they're not making either side happy. You know, right. neither side is looking at this and getting what they want out of it. Okay. Like, you know, your, your very religious people are seeing that Jesus was an alien. You know, right. Jesus knew math <laughs> 2000 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, you know, this, this uh, container, they said it was like, you know, a millions of years old. So this thing had existed long before Jesus came. Right. right. I mean, like a lot of the, a lot of this stuff doesn't fit into their you know, uh, the rules of the Bible and stuff like that. Right. And then obviously the people that are, um, you know, on the science part of it, there's a lot of supernatural elements coming out of this too. Right. Yeah. Like how can some being live inside of a container for a million years? Like As that liquid. doesn't make sense. Right. right. You know, like how are these people getting possessed and, you know, it's green goo possessing people and like you're traveling through mirrors. I mean, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to, the science community either. So like neither side gets what they want out of it, but you know, they still obviously have to like debate, but right. again, the true as in real life, the truth is somewhere in between, right. you know, you have your, your faith and your science. And again, you, you both sides of it, both sides can argue with each other all they want. But again, the truth is going to be somewhere in between, whether it's heavier on one side or the other, who knows, but it's going to be somewhere in the between. I think this movie proves that point is that it's going to be somewhere in between that probably neither is going to be happy with, but they have to compromise on. Right. And you know, the, the science side, the religious side probably wouldn't like is because if you ever watched ancient aliens, that ancient religions depicted beings coming from the sky and you could take that as angels or in, you know, in this case, in other cases, it's an alien. It's floating spaceships that's depicted in the ancient you know, hieroglyphics, you know, machines in the sky that have fire, you know, a whole bunch of stuff like that. And they took that with that step. I feel that's where they got the idea of Jesus being, you know, the alien and, and coming down is the heavenly creature from space. But that's, that's where we got. Yeah, no, I, yeah, but just, just very well done. I mean, yeah, that would be the highlight is definitely that just, just interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing you don't often see, especially in this time period. Right. Absolutely. That, yeah. Religious, religious debates then were more like the open. Right. Okay. Crazy. Low points. Yes. Fucking bugs, man. <laughs> they're everywhere in this movie was, and they're disgusting. I knew that was coming. I knew There's that like was coming. worms all over the windows. There's like people made out of giant beetles. I mean, there's ants in TVs. <laughs> I, it's disgusting. They're everywhere and they're gross. Uh, I knew that was coming. I was watching. I was like, "Oh, I know what his low point's going to be." For 
Um, low point for me. I mean, it's nineteen eighty-seven, right, or around that that time frame. Mm-hmm. The amount of calculations that they were able to do on these computers. <laughs> how fast Donald Pleasance was able to type on the typewriter. I'm like, okay, something's not right here. Like, it was very... I think Okay, I think that typewriter that he was... I don't think he was typing. I think it was automatically typing. I think... Because I know, I know what scene you're talking about. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, his hands aren't even moving. Yes. I think it, I think yeah, it was like an automatic typewriter that was like... I don't know, like a fax machine type thing or something. Well, because like, all of a sudden he's like, underline, like, we grew up with typewriters, right? We I typed papers and typewriters growing up. I didn't have a computer yeah. in 1991 having to do this shit. No, yeah, so, I remember when I had, when I had to write a term paper for school. My mom had to borrow a typewriter from her work and bring it home. Like, you know how <laughs> so hard it was. Type- you know how hard it was to underline something on that typewriter that he yeah. underlined while typing. No, doesn't happen. Sorry, that typewriter doesn't exist. You had to go back, adjust the page, and then do the, high, the underline as a separate line. Again, I'm I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was like some kind of weird like fax precursor to where it was like typing out something that was being sent from somewhere else, like a telegram or something. I don't, and I don't, yeah. I mean, it, it would be a very huge oversight if he was like supposed to be typing that because his hands were not moving and he was just <laughs> staring at the typewriter. And it was just printing shit out. Right. It looked like a like a dot matrix fax machine. Right. That and then the little point is once again Donald Pleasant's continues acting like he doesn't want to be there. Donald Pleasant again, he's he's a better priest than he is a child psychologist. I'll give him I'll give him that because at least he seems to like know prayers and stuff. Right? So he like did something. I mean he did try to do something, but it seemed like he gave up before the thing even started. Like he seemed like defeated when it before anything even started happening. Like he was just Maybe he was just depressed in life or something. I That's entirely possible. I mean, dude, you're a priest that gets dropped off at a church in a limo, man. I mean, yeah. your life is not all that bad. Cheer up a little bit. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's get into our theory time. This one, mm-hmm. right? It's just the idea of it. Of it's like I said, we I touched on it. It's it's the end of days predicted from 1999, and then time travel projected dreams essentially. You know, right. and the ending and then, of it, and then, and the, the way it ended of it, her coming out in what I assume nineteen ninety nine, or is that her escaping the church? I mean, what's your theory? Well, on I that think dream it's, sequence. I think it's, I think it's both. Well, I mean, I, okay, before in the very beginning of it, um, you know, when they showed like the dark figure coming out of the church, because they showed the same sequence multiple times, um, but I mean, what they were saying it was it was the same thing the whole time. But like sometimes it would be distorted and faded out and stuff. So like you could only catch bits and pieces as he went along. It yeah. didn't become clear until the very end. Is like right. I think I talked about it earlier. They're saying they're projecting this to unconscious minds because they don't have the technology to reach conscious minds or something. Right. Anyway, but in the earlier in the movie, there was a, a figure that was coming out of the front of the building, and it looked it was very clearly like a guy wearing like a weird cape. Yes. Um, and it, it kind of it, it looked like the guy from Mono's The Hands of Fate, you know, the the bad guy with the hands on his cloak. It looked like that guy, um, right. but at the very end, it's it's clearly shown as the redhead Catherine, right? Yes. Um. So I mean, obviously, if they're sending this back in time, right, to try to I mean, what warn people? Prevent. I'm guessing, 
Um, so yeah, if you're trying to warn people or prevent the thing from happening, um, so they, they showed her coming out of the church, which would mean to me that that's like the source of the bad thing that they need to prevent. Right. Right. So my guess is, is that in the water dimension where she's hanging out with Satan and, and melty lady, (laughs) um, she probably either, you know, got possessed and became one of those or like became, you know, eventually convinced or brainwashed to be their avatar or something right yes and they figured out how to come out so they did now do you okay do you think it was poorly discounted tom atkins that pulled her out to create the event that still happened when he was reaching towards the mirror well okay well where he was doing his reaching towards the mirror that was at his own house right that wasn't at the church and she came walking out of the church I'm saying, did he do it? And that, that, like, do you feel that that sequence was 1999 or do you think it was 1987? I think it was 1987. I think, yeah, I think he himself, uh, I mean, they didn't show him going into the mirror, but my personal belief is that I think he went into there and I think he had adventures. I think he had adventures in the water dimension of evil. Okay. And then he, found her and it took him that long to get her out and that she came out in 1999 whether he was with her or not who knows because they didn't show that far into the movie but i think as a result of her coming out he probably let out whatever else was also in there right as this is this is my made-up story that i would my head (laughs) canon of what i would believe that to happen based on the events that are there. So yeah, I think that he went into the mirror to go rescue her and it took him what, 12 years or maybe time moves differently on that side. Maybe it didn't take that long because she looked exactly the same when she came out. It did not look like 12 years had passed. So, um, yeah, I mean, her hair was still done. She's wearing the same clothes and they were intact and everything. So, uh, look, looked fine. So yeah, my thing is he went in the mirror and he, uh, found adventures and got her out, but in the process of getting her out, I think he released whatever caused the apocalypse that people wanted to warn him. Or maybe he was the one that made the message. That's because, my next question. Who's the brother? Who's the who's in the Brotherhood of Sleep? Is it Donald Pleasant's character, Sonny Back? Because they communicated in dreams, so it had to be someone who was versed enough in it to then. 12 years later, send the messages back to try to prevent this thing. Well, so, I, it's, I think it, I think it is all of them, all of the survivors working together to make that happen is what I think it is. I think they become the new brotherhood of sleep. Okay. But now, now the brotherhood of sleep includes scientists because, you know, they've all witnessed this thing and they know it to be true as well. Um, so what's, what, what is the thing that scientists would try to do, right? Is they would use science to try to prevent it from happening. I think that's what they were doing because when they were discussing it earlier, they were even discussing like, you know, tachyons and how they could possibly do that. Time you know, you, yeah. yeah you could, they were talking about things moving faster than the speed of light and how they can move backward through time. And you know, the, they were talking about maybe relative right. time would be relative at that point. Right. Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking not only did they do that to communicate back with the past, but I think in that other dimension, wherever they're at, I think that's probably how they were able to go through and come out in 1999 looking like they were just in there for a minute. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I like it. I like that. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, every all everybody that survived is the new brotherhood of sleep. They use all their combined powers to send that warning back. Um, 
or that whatever. That was only after she reappeared in the church. Right. Because until that point, they probably thought they were sick. Correct. But the event still happened. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Because that's yeah. just going to keep going back back and forth. Well, right? again, yeah. But then you also start getting into time travel problems. The paradoxes. Of, <laughs> right. Like, okay, like, can you actually change time? Like, if you go back in time and change things, is that not the way things have always been? Right. Right. You know, you get the whole thing of like, you know, time is a river, right? You yep. throw a rock, you throw a rock in a river and it, it just moves around it. It continues and it never, it doesn't actually make any long-term effects. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. Like I said, it's, there's more debate. I'm, I'm interested because I've heard so much of the theme, theories. I don't hear very much about this. It's just because it's too new to us, even though it's been around for 35 years. Um, I mean, that, yeah. And also it's a lot, it's a lot more vague. Yeah. <laughs> than, than some of the other ones. I mean, there's a lot more of like you have to make up your own theories and your own stories as to what happens, you know, because yeah. none of it, not even really even big clues are given to you. Like in the movie itself, is it ever suggested who sends these messages in at all? No, no, no there's nothing at all. Right. I think it's like, yeah, people have been having this same dream for a long time. They were talking like even the priests years and years and years ago had this same dream. Right. So like this has been being sent back in time to them for what? I mean, who knows? 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. At, at least it might even be longer. Right. All right. So for this one, we're going to do a number of schizos, which is the bigger people led by Alice Cooper out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give this an eight. Um, now, if I had rewatched this enough, that might have been higher for me, but just kind of like the first full watch through that I can recall maybe in the past, you know, 25 years hmm. um, is a solid entry. And I don't think it just, just because it's so new to me, I give it more rewatches and I want to do more research into it. So just from the first watch eight, not as good as the thing, but still a, an interesting enough story for me. Mm-hmm. Well, for you, um, I will give it an 8.5 street schizos out of 10. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take away the one half of the other half of the bicycle. He didn't use to stand. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great movie. Um, again, yeah, not as good as the thing. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going for it. I mean, I'm watching it again the second time within just a few months and I was still, just as interested as I was the first time. So yeah, it's definitely well-made interesting. I mean, there's a lot of things that I was trying to see the second time to see if there's more hints about what the hell was with that dream, you know, Um, and there really isn't, there really is nothing. I mean, they they have, like I said, they have a conversation of how they could possibly have done it scientifically, but again, it was just theory. They were just tossing around ideas. They were like trying to really figure it out. That was it. (laughs) Otherwise there's nothing. And that, that doesn't have any effect on how it ends or anything. I mean, it's, it's just there. It's like a red herring almost, but right. But yeah, no, it's right. fun. I like it. Okay. All right. So let's get into the final chapter of this. Uh, the J cat, the J cat. Yes. Good old J cat. We're making this. We're going to make J cat shirts. Let's do it. <laughs> we're going to make J cat happen. Exactly. Exactly. In the mouth of madness. 
Um, how do we even want to we're tag team this again? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to kind of lead? Oh, uh, we'll let's say we'll tag team this. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can start if you want. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah, it essentially starts off to where there's a a, a guy, um, like in a straight jacket, um, being brought into like a, an asylum, right? Yeah. Um. And he's obviously like violent and wiggling around, and he's like fighting the people, you know, like. Punches so like, punches orly in the balls or kicks right. in the balls. Right. Yeah. So like okay, this guy totally belongs here, right? He, yep. he belongs in a in a in a in a cell. Um yep. so yeah, so they like they they lock him in the cell. Um uh you know, and then they, they show him like somebody like a cop, I guess, comes to talk to him later. Like time has passed. They go to talk to him later, and he's like drawn all these weird crosses all over the walls and all over his clothes and all over his face and himself and everything. Right. Um, which they say, like, oh, he only wanted one black crayon. Like, you can't color black crayon on your skin. No. Like, you can't. crayons do not make marks on skin. Everything else debatably could have been used to crayon, but you can't make those on his skin. But I mean, I had crayons in 1994. Yeah, no crayon worked that way. Right, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, so uh, this guy basically is like talking to him, and it, it, it seems like this guy knows more than he's letting on because he's basically saying like, "I know you're not really crazy. Um, I know you're here for some reason, and you're not crazy. You're just here because you're you're trying to hide from something." He's like, "I want I want to know your story." Right. And so the guy kind of like breaks his crazy character, you know, gets a cigarette, you know lights it up he's like okay let me tell you the story and where it starts um and the guy's name is john trent and this is sam neal is the actor that, that yes. plays him uh, john trent is a uh, an insurance investigator uh best of the best right he yes finds out people that are cheating insurance guy and then we cut to another guy who's in a lot of john carpenter movies who was just in the last one is dr Leahy. yes um, the actor of the guy who is uh, you know burned down his warehouse to, to, you know, steal insurance money. Um, and he basically shows him like, Oh, here's your wife wearing things that were supposedly burned in this fire. Uh, Oh, here's your girlfriend also wearing things that were burned in the fire. You know, like, Hey, maybe you should, you know, not have a girlfriend and let your wife know <laughs> whatever. To commit insurance fraud together and, right, then, yeah. and then go around saying, Oh, now then go have an affair. Cause essentially his wife helped rat him out. Yeah, yeah. Said so, yeah. Essentially, his wife threw him under the bus because you know they showed him the pictures of the girlfriend. You know, whatever. He screwed himself again. This is just a scene to show that he's he's the best of the best. Is great at what he does, right? Yes. Um, so then the guy that had hired him to do this is like, "Oh, you're really good. You know, I want to hire you." And he's like, "No, oh, I only work alone. You know, I'm a I'm a freelancer." He's like, "Okay, well, I have another job for you." Um, and there he's basically um gets hired to to find Sutter Kane, who is an author um, akin to like Stephen King, right? A horror author that, that everybody loves um, that has gone missing. Yes. Um, so then he goes to meet with his new employer, who is Charlton Heston. Um, this has to be one of his last roles, I'm guessing, right? I mean, because this is like, what, 94? Oh, he's, he, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, he was, this is definitely like NRA era, <laughs> Charles Neston. Like he was, he was, uh, you know, I mean, again, he was probably still around for a while, but his, his, uh, um, Alzheimer's was kicking in pretty hard around that time. Anyway. Um, so yeah, he gets officially hired to, to go find Sutter Kane, right? Because uh, he's a mystery guy. Nobody's ever met with them. You know, we only talk to his intermediaries, you know, blah 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 you know he's a super secretive guy we have to go find him like kind of like making it seem like he's like the jd salinger of 
horror writers, right? Right. Well, we got before he meets that. I think it's before he meets the guy. He's at the diner, right? He's he's talking to a guy. Oh, that was that was after. Oh no no, you're right. That was yeah, before. It's before. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a guy who has a axe. Who they the two people never see him coming towards the window, which is amazing in itself. And he breaks down the the window that's there and asks if he's read if he's if he's read Sutter King. Yeah. Do you read Sutter King? King you're right. And there's his mutated eye, something goes clearly wrong with him. He gets shot dead by the police. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right before he's gonna hit him with the axe. But yeah, his eyes look like they look like they're like um like they've like they're like they're in the process of splitting. Like you know, like a like a cell in mitosis. They kind of look like they're doing that, and they're like just starting that process to like his his eyes are kind of like weird, like eights almost, almost like the pupils in Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> you know, it was odd. But I was looking at it, I was like, I had to like pause it. I'm like, what the hell is up with his eyes? Like, there's obviously something wrong with him. Right. But I just wanted to see what was wrong with him. But yeah, yeah, that's what I could see. It looks like they were like looked like they were like cell mitosis splitting, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, so that, that then that was right before, and because then they said like, oh, so who's your intermediary? And he's like, oh, is his agent? And he's like, oh, well, let let me talk to his agent. And he's like, you already talked to him. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, that was the guy with the axe. He's like, that's his agent. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, essentially he's having to start over. He, they don't have any contact with with Sutter Kane at all. Right. Um, the only contact they had was through his agent. The agent obviously has gone insane. Um, and and is now dead and they have no contact. So they're hiring him to go find him. Well, they're really looking for his last manuscript too. Well, yeah, that's the main thing is what they want is they want his last book. Cause they've business, already sold business, like business. Yeah. They've already, <laughs> yeah, they've already sold the film rights and everything. So they need, need the book to, to right. get everything moving forward. By at this point, they wouldn't just hire a ghostwriter to just come up with some garbage if they needed it that bad. Who knows? But right. um, anyway, so yeah, he assigns like his assistant, um, to him styles her name is yeah um yeah assigns this assistant that's supposed to go and help him you know kind of keep not only to keep an eye on him but also to help him with any company related stuff because she's been um sutter kane's editor she's read all of his books you know she's like the expert on sutter kane so she's supposed to go with him to help right um yeah so he they they go off to to figure it out um so of course he goes to the bookstore and buys all of his books. Yep. Um, and seemingly reads all of them in one night. They were short. And, they were skinny books. Okay, dude. That would be like, I mean, they were at least like 300, 350 page books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how many? There was what? At least six? He read six 300 page books in <laughs> one night? I mean, I, obviously, later on, they show, like, okay, he didn't remember everything. So, he, like, he probably, like, speed read them or, like, skimmed them or something. But Like, the first sentence or two from each paragraph. Right. You know, but, it's, but it's ridiculous. Anyway. Right. So, like, as he's, you know, staring at the covers of these books, he sees, like, this, you know, kind of pattern. Red lines, um, and it's, yeah. yeah. So, he cuts out this pattern and he puts them all together and he sees that it makes the state of New Hampshire. And it actually marks out this little red dot of a town called Hobbs End, which is like this fictional town in their world. And it's it's a, essentially the Castle Rock it's in Stephen King's dense. world. Yes, right. Yeah. So very, like you know, the Castle Rock is is the Hobbs End to Sutter King. Yes, there's very very strong alliterations of this. They even mention him being better than Stephen King. Yeah, yes, they do mention Stephen King by name. Yes, yes, which is brazen. Let's face yes, it. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But I mean, Stephen King probably loved it. 
be honest. All right. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So they just so he's like, yeah, this is where Hobbs End's supposed to be, and they're like, well, Hobbs End doesn't actually exist. He's like, oh, trust me, it'll it'll be there. You know, there's a lot of towns that aren't on any map. Blah blah, whatever. I mean, it's New Hampshire. Okay. To be fair. How yeah. Towns are there three. <laughs> the live free or die state. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that has government sponsored liquor stores. Exactly. Exactly. Like the, it's the only thing I remember from New Hampshire. I've been there once. Um, uh, and so anyway, so yeah, so they all this. They go. They jump in the car and they decide to take this road trip to this place, right? Um, and they're taking this road trip, and on the way there, they have this like bizarre vision of like a kid like riding a bike down the street. Yes. Um, with uh, with like playing cards in the in the bike, um, and then like later on, like all of a sudden, now he's like an old man. He's a um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. On the same bike, like um, you know, it's it's like bizarrely weird. And then later on, um, so they switch. So she's driving, and then the 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 guy comes out again, and this time she hits him with the car. Um, and they get out. Uh, and uh, the guy just like gets up and leaves. You well, know, he's like, like I can't. I, it won't let me leave. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Weird things are starting to happen now. Um, they get back in the car, and they get like weirdly. Uh, like it seems like they're both asleep at the time, and they get kind of like transported, yeah. yeah, transported through like one of those old covered bridges, and all of a sudden now they're in a town, and it's very clearly with a sign that said Hobbs End, and it's got you know it's like a quaint little like small town downtown area, right? They did the reverse Halloween, where it's nighttime, all of a sudden they go through this short bridge after they go through it, then stay right, 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 right. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're like, okay, this is interesting, and they're looking around, um, and like they you know she's like clearly remembering things right that like yeah. this is like from the the stuff that he wrote like the yeah you know at this point they're assuming that uh, this is the town that he based all his stuff on right um so they like they go to the hospital you know they they go to the hotel um and they go to the check in and it's like the lady that was in the story and even um you know John Trent knows this lady because it's like one of the the famous people in his stories right Mrs. Pickman, yeah yeah Mrs. Pickman, the guy who you know, chopped up her husband or whatever. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So they, um, you know, they go to check in, um, uh, I mean, there's already weird stuff starting to happen. There's a weird painting behind them, um, that like keeps changing and moving. Like there's two people in the, in the painting and they keep like moving positions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, creepy things are happening. They check in, um, essentially, you know, they're, he's trying to say like, Oh, it can't be the same place because like, if I look out this window, I should see the church and I don't see the church. So we're looking and then east. And, yeah, yeah. She's like, you weren't looking the right way. And they open up the window and it's the church, which I don't understand how he would know about the church. Cause the church was supposed to be in the new book. Right. Right. So well, the church he, was in the new book that she only read the first couple of chapters of because he's the editor, but he didn't have access to those. So how would he know about it? Right. And he starts to lead suspicion like this is all like a big publicity stunt. Right. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, that makes probably the most sense at this point right. is like, you know, make a fake town and then bring a guy in that's the most skeptical of skeptical people to say it's real, you know? Right. Yes. So yeah, th- this is what he's assuming at this point in time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so essentially they're they're going out in the in the town to like uh you know to look around to find out you know if they can find you know Sutter Kane or to find out where he went or what's going on blah 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 yeah um yeah so they they look around in the town and they end up at the church the the black church with the the gold onion tops or whatever they <laughs> however they describe it um right. yes yeah so they go up to this like creepy weird church um and there's like uh a bunch of people like going into the, the parking lot. 
and and she's like, oh, they got guns. We need to get out of here. And he's like, why? Like, why can't we just go in the church? He's like, we got to get away. So they go and they hide in like the bushes, and like all these people with guns come out and they're like, you know, Cain, like Sutter Cain, come on out, like give us our kids back. <laughs> Yes. Or, or something and they're like what and so the door opens and there's a kid and the door is open and closed like i don't know like 12 times they just like they keep opening and closing over and over and over again cool. and then finally they open up one time and sutter kane himself is standing there um and so yeah the kid doesn't come out sutter kane doesn't come out essentially it just doesn't nothing happens <laughs> as a result of this scene in order only to show that sutter kane is indeed in this town and he's in that church Right. Well, I think they also realize that uh, in the book, the kids are the first ones to be affected. Right. Yeah. There's a, some kind of like ancient evil coming from the church. Right. And it takes over. Yeah. It takes over the children first. And they have like a scene of like these children like chasing the dog. Yes. And they, like the children are starting to become like weirdly like deformed ish. They um, were they were deforming and almost into centibite ish, yeah, twists, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. They were they were kind of weird. At one point, I think they even like don't they like kind of threaten yeah them or something? Yeah, like right. they're obviously not nice children. Correct. The poor dog. They're chasing the poor dog. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah. So they essentially like go back to their hotel to kind of like regroup and figure out like okay, like Sutter Kane is here. But like somehow we're like inside of a story or something, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, Sam Neill at this point just wants to leave. <laughs> like he, yeah. he just doesn't want to be a part of this. He's like, "This is stupid. I don't want to be a part of this." It's all just um, a stunt. Yeah. Yeah. Styles immediately goes to like try to seduce him to try to keep him there. Right. Um, which works. <laughs> well, 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 she confronts Kane, and they like make out and start getting mutated. Blah blah blah. We find out his book, the final book, the manuscript is called In the Mouth of Madness. Right. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Story over. Come on home. Right. But yeah, so um, yeah, he wants to leave. She's seducing him, saying, hey, don't do this. Um, you know, that he eventually goes through the town. He's talking about he's going to the bar, right? Was that where you're going? Right. Yeah. Yeah, then yeah, he goes to the bar and he sees the guy that was, you know, the leader of the the guys trying to get their kids back who was Vigo, the Carpathian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and they're like, kind of sort of talking um about it like he knows Sutter Kane, he knows he's there, he knows what the story is. He like also kind of knows that he's in the story. Right. Uh, he can't um, leave as well. Right, yeah, he can't leave. He can't do anything. You know, the only thing you can do is like sit there and drink because that's what he's supposed to do at that time, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Sam Neill eventually at this point is like, oh, okay, like we need to like we need to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> so <laughs> he goes back um and he tries to like get her to come with, and she just doesn't want any part of it. Um, and then I believe he doesn't he knock her out? He punches her, yes. Yeah, he like, well, she, punches in her. Fairness, in fairness, she punched him first. Well, okay, yeah, but he like <laughs> full on like punched her in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and then was like trying to drag her out. And then like the old lady like somehow mutated into a monster. Yeah, her husband was attacked her. Yeah, her, her husband was like naked and handcuffed to her leg. And then she like became a monster. It's yeah. And then he just it didn't do anything about it. He just left. 
Right. He's like, yeah, it's interesting. And then he left. Uh, but he, so he puts her in the car and they're going to leave. Right. They're just yep. going to drive away. So they drive into the town and there's like a like a yeah, like a lynch mob, like a you know bunch of people with torches and pitchforks, essentially um, in the town, like, you know, going to do uh, something. I don't know. Who knows what they're doing? Right. But he's just like, nope. <laughs> he just turns around <laughs> and tries driving the other way and he's driving the other way for a while. Um, and then all of a sudden he's driving back into the town again. Like he's the, like, what the hell? Yeah, like the 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 yellow lines, the double lines that he's driving to keep on the highway flashes mm-hmm. orange, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's driving back into the lynch mob. Right. Yeah. So he repeats that like what three, four times. Yes. And he, funny enough, they don't reuse the same footage. He backs up differently every right. time. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, he's like he does that like three, four times until he finally decides like whatever, I'm just going to drive through these people. Right. <laughs> uh, so he, just, he tries driving through them. You know, they all pretty much get out of the way, but then uh, he ends up swerving at the end and crashes into another car. Um, and then, he, you know, they kind of uh, blacks well, because, out. Yeah, because, because Linda was in the street. Like, she teleport. She, at one point, he just said, screw it, and threw her out of the car. So it's just, <laughs> yeah. So then she was back in the mob, and he swerved to avoid hitting her. And crashes his car. Right. Right. And then he wakes up uh, in the confessional, right? Yep. Yeah. So he wakes up in the confessional, and then Sutter Kane is like the priest in the confessional. Um, And he's essentially like, you know, talking shit to him. Like, you know, this is stupid. Like, just let me out of here. Like, this this has gone too far. You know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Sutter Kane is kind of going like on like he's just super full of himself like this, you know, he's, he's done this great thing. Like he's somehow, you know, become the pinnacle of, of writing and, and created, you know, something real, right. It's not fiction anymore. It's real. And I made it right. And he um, helped free an ancient race called the old ones, which is very right. HP Lovecraft. Well, yeah, it is. HP Lovecraft. It's yeah, not, even, it not even similar. It is right. He essentially um, was able to do what HP Lovecraft wrote about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then they're like, um, they end up in that room where they have the, the door that looks like it's wet. And it's like something is like clearly trying to break out of the door. And these are the old ones that he's supposedly going to be letting out. Yeah. Or something. Well, um, no, as, first, yeah. He tears off. Well, yeah. He does that. But first, um, he gets, you know, he gives Trent the manuscript and he tears open his face and like it's paper. Right, and then we go. That, that's where we then that helps create the portal, and you see uh, Trent looking out through the book into the into the void where the the, the old ones reside. Uh, and then he tries to escape. And he sees a long tunnel that it said would take supposedly take him back to the real world, and that's where he tell that's where the door is. That's kind of wet. <laughs> Right. Well, the wet door was the one that that broke down, that the old ones come out of. Okay. Um, and that was uh, like the, Sutter, Sutter Kane was saying, yeah. like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to hold him back as long as I can. You need to to get out of here. They they showed that wet door earlier. Yeah. Like when she was in the room with him, like whenever they showed him, like typing at the typewriter, or whatever, it, that wet door was next to him. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so he goes through that the long tunnel. He goes back to. Um, the real world, more or less. 
Um, and then he comes out and he's like, you know, in a car, basically in the same spot they were in when they hit the kid before. Right. Um, and now cameo alert, who is the paper boy? It's Darth Vader himself. That's right. It's Hayden Christensen <laughs> as a very young child riding his bike. <clears throat> um, but yeah, very, but a different paper boy, you know, like he thought at first it was the same kid on a bike, but it turns out it's, it's a different kid on a bike and he's back in the real world. Correct. Um, and so then he goes back to the real world. He goes back to um, Charlton Heston. And Charlton Heston is like, yeah, I hired you, but I never sent anybody named Styles with you. There's no one there. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I, he's like, I sent you alone. Like that, I, that person doesn't exist. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, and he's like, oh, he must have wrote her out of the story. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, at this point, he just looks like a, like a crazy person because like, all these things that he says are there are not there. Um, there's the, the lots of inconsistencies, things that are different, uh, things that have changed. Um, he finds out that he's been gone for months um, and that the movie, like he got the, uh, well, he, the manuscript. He, he hand delivered it to right. Charles months ago. Right. And the movie is being made. Right. And so, yeah, he's like, the movie's already being made. It's going to be releasing in a week or something, I think he said. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, great. Oh, wait, no, yeah. Before that was the time when he was in the hotel where he was trying to hide out in the hotel. Like yeah. somebody sent him the manuscript. So like somebody knew he was there anyway. Right. And that's when he went back to the real world. Um, so yeah, so he's essentially figures out that the world is going to like fall apart. Cause he's seeing all these weird things. Like basically anybody who like reads the book is like, goes insane. Be- yeah. Becoming insane. And they, they alluded to it earlier in the movie where they said like unstable people that read his work have like an issue with it or like become more unstable. They don't really specify what, Right. And it said, like, unstable people have a reaction. To it's it. not going to be everybody, but right. it's going to be a good enough chunk that become, that, you know, kill people. Right. And they're saying, but yeah, in the mouth of madness, this new book basically makes anybody crazy that reads it. And that was the reason why the agent went crazy is because he read the first couple of chapters of the book, and that was enough to make him go axe murdering crazy. Right. And we, we got illusions of that when you know Trent read it that he started going a little bit insane obviously right but not as bad <laughs> right yeah so eventually um he decides like he knows the world is going to fall apart because lots of people have read this book there's all kinds of things happening on the news and the newspapers like things blowing up things going crazy um and he and once the movie comes out he's like oh everybody that doesn't read is not going to watch this movie and so the whole world is going to go mad right he um, goes so that's when yeah, you can't yeah. have it. <laughs> right. So that's when he decides to, like, I'm going to go lock myself into a mental hospital and wait this whole thing out. Well, no, because he went to a bookstore when the novel was being released, he started seeing the habit there. And he sees someone who started reading it somehow already, like, three quarters of the way down with the book and then kills him with that. Well, yeah, but he does that on purpose. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He does that on purpose. Yeah, so he does, you know, well, yeah, it was, a, it was a cool scene. He's like, you read Sutter Kane, right? He's like, oh, yeah, I love him. He's like, well, you know, this is going to end. And he pulls an axe out of his coat, um, yeah. which was a fun scene. Anyway, obviously, yeah, so he gets, that's that's basically why he gets locked up in the mental ward. Um, and then they show him going back, being interviewed by the cop guy again. And the cop guy's like, yeah, okay, you know, wh- whatever. And he and just like, kind of leaves. Like, what's it like outside? Right. Yeah. John Trent's asking what's it like outside. It's like something's going on. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the cop guy just kind of dismisses him. He doesn't really like engage him. He doesn't really answer the question. He just leaves. But he seems very troubled. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's obviously <laughs> something's troubling him. He's obviously there to 
interview him for some reason. Like they're trying to figure out the root of this or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, he just kind of doesn't answer him when he leaves. And then there's like, you know, you don't know if it's like dreams or if things are happening for real, but he's like seeing all kinds of like people bang on his door and like, you know, things are like exploding and happening, like people screaming and blood and stuff happening outside in the hallway. And he just kind of, you know, hides in his room. Just waiting for it to blow over. Right, waiting for it to blow over. And essentially when it all stops, he, he gets up and there's like, you know, yeah, blood and scratch marks and shit all over his door. His door has been broken open. Um, and he opens the door and he walks out and there's like no people anywhere. Yes. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like carnage everywhere, but there's no people anywhere. So he goes into the into town and he sees like uh, Inima the Madness is playing at the theater. So he walks in, um, gets popcorn somehow. Fresh popcorn. Uh, right, fresh popcorn. <laughs> and then sits down to watch the movie by himself. There's no one else in the whole theater uh, watching the movie. And essentially, it's he's watching the movie we just watched. Where he finds out he's the main character. Right, yeah, where he point. finds out, yeah, he's the main character. And he just laughs, like, maniacally. And then the movie's over. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and that's it. That's the whole movie. Yeah, so... Uh, let's get your first thoughts. I know you've seen, you've seen this before. I, yeah, I saw it right, right when it first came out. Um, and this was like, this was a high school time. Um, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I might, I was probably high when I watched it. I mean, that was fits the time period. Um, but I mean, I don't, I, I remember it being a lot crazier than it is. And maybe it just my my you know worldview was a lot smaller back then, and I wasn't exposed to a lot of things that I have now. But I remember this movie like blowing my mind, like how crazy and weird it was, you know. Yeah. Um, at the time, which watching it now, I mean, yeah, it's weird, but it's not. I've seen lots of stranger things, but again, at that time in my world, yes, this was very crazy. Um, but I remember bits and pieces, not much. It's been, I mean, came well, up. 95 20, for us. Yeah, yeah. 25 years ago. You know, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I don't, I remember some bits and pieces, but not enough of it. I mean, it was essentially like watching it again. Um, you know, so for, for me, like I said, I knew, I, I know I saw parts of it. I don't think I ever, in 94, I mean, I was, I was 10. So, not quite able to do it, but it was definitely on TV. And, Kevin liked Rob Zombie. He talks about the mouth of madness and, and the song Demon Speed and stuff like that. Um, and kind of the twist that, that exists within it. Um, especially with the rewatch, I found this to be, you know, so this is shortly after, you know, uh, New Nightmare by Wes Craven, two years before Scream. This is a very meta movie. Um, meta in some aspects of you know, scenes playing out over and over again. We get, you know, parts of that one of your favorite movies, Video Drum, which we'll be discussing later this month. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I think it was a good Descent into Madness movie. Um, for, you know, for the first thought rewatch, it's something definitely that I need to rewatch more often because there's stuff I missed. I know I missed. Um, and especially on, on this rewatch, you know, like I said, the brazenness that saying that this guy is, you know, I, I don't know if it's brazen or it's supposed to be an homage saying that Stephen King is the person to beat for horror writing. I mean, how, how'd you take that? I mean, okay. Well, I mean, at that time period, I mean, I mean, arguably Stephen King probably is still the top horror writer. Yes. Right? 
Um, but I mean, especially at that time period. Oh I mean, yeah, during that time period, there was. I mean, he was no question the biggest horror writer in the world. It was. It was a name that everyone knew. Right. Um. So it was. It was. You know, if you're gonna poke, you know, if you're gonna say that somebody's famous, you're gonna have to poke whoever is the actual famous person at the time. Yes. And say that you're more famous than that person in order for the audience to understand how famous this person's supposed to be. Yeah. So do you think um, that was a, a do you think that was a praise or do you think that was a jet? No, it's a praise. I mean, obviously okay. they they have to acknowledge that he is the top horror writer to say that this guy's better than them, right? Oh, to, um, if, if we're saying that this is our world, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if they wanted to jab him, they would say, you know, they would have used Dean Koontz. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, do you think this is a worthy rewatch? Something that you would watch more? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's been a, a movie that I've been meaning to watch for a long time, uh, to rewatch for a long time, yeah. simply because you know a lot of those movies that I watched back then that I was like, oh, they're weird, crazy. I like to rewatch them now with my different mindset and just try to understand them better, you know, because obviously yeah. I'm, you know, you're a different person. Your mind is in a totally different place 25 years later, you know, and I like to rewatch some of those. Sometimes it burns me because movies that I have fond recollections of, I find out that I hate, you know, because they're just terrible, you know, and, and I would like to hold on to those good memories I had rather than the new ones I have. But, you know, a movie like this has been on my list for a while, but, you know, it's been in the back of my mind, hasn't been on the forefront. So, right. I mean, this was a good reason. I mean, we use, let's face it, the company's movies as just an excuse for to watch them. Yeah, no, like I said, the, the thing I rewatch all the time, I, like I said, I rewatch it at least once a year. I rewatched it, um, just a couple months ago on Laserdisc, <laughs> I was yeah. I was I was working on something in the area of my Laserdisc player, and I just put it on in the background. I mean, you know, I was I was doing other things, obviously, but it was on. Right. Um, and yeah, Prince of Darkness I had watched recently. Yeah, In Mouse Madness it has been a long time. But. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go highlights for you for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, highlights of it. I mean, I really like the uh, the idea the idea of it. I like the cool of like you know fiction coming to life kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I like that idea. I mean, I it's 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 not the first time it's been done, but it's uh, it was it, it was interesting. You know, especially since I'm a uh, you know I like horror books. You know, I like Stephen yeah. King books, and right. it's it's fun to you know. I mean, obviously it's not Stephen King, but it is Stephen King at the same time. You know, it's it's nice to see that you know. Uh, kind of like that fiction come to reality type of thing. Um, obviously, this is way before Castle Rock, which was kind of the same sort of thing, yeah, where it's like a yeah. fictionalized world coming to life, more or less. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, highlights definitely for me is is the madness that that does exist. You know that this could be a thing. Like, I feel like the idea of because I just watched something from the Cabinet of Curiosities, which is someone watching looking at paintings that are so disturbing that drove you insane and they probably got the idea from from this movie about the madness that there's always been that thing like with horror writing and stuff like that even with you know lovecraft and poe that these things were so insane that it would warp someone's mind to a point of insanity like i feel like there's yeah. always been an idea of how dark you can get before you start driving people insane yeah i mean yeah i mean poe and lovecraft both had the same thing in the writings were like, yeah, certain things, you know, people would experience them and just go crazy for having witnessed them. Right. Yeah. I think this was a good love letter to both Poe and Lovecraft. Yeah. Definitely. And, I mean, and, and Lovecraft, 
Yeah, I mean, Lovecraft more so, because like yes. they literally had elements of his work in here. Um, yeah. Stephen King, they mentioned him by name, and essentially, like, you know, uh, you know, Stephen King is always in Maine, and so where did they set this? Right next to the, the state, right <laughs> next to Maine. I mean, it's like, it's very, it's, it's, it is Stephen King, but it's not Stephen King at the same time. It's like, you know, it's like dollar store Stephen King, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was done. I think, um, you know, I think out of love, I don't think it was, an insulting thing at all i mean it was you know just a fun thing i, I said i'm pretty sure stephen king would be a fan of this movie yeah yeah so like so it was a, it was a good love letter mm-hmm. a, a john carpenter love letter correct acknowledging those that came before him realistic <laughs> right well i'm i'm sure that carpenter and stephen king have had a, a lot of conversations well i mean John Carpenter did Christine, which was right. I'm, yeah, I'm saying like I'm sure they had a relationship before this point, and I'm sure he was totally on board with it. So, do you think there's ever a possibility of it actually have been Stephen King in the long run, and then he could you didn't want to do it instead, um, of, creating, instead of creating a new character? Could they have made could have been would have been more meta if it was Stephen King? <laughs> It would have been. It's kind of funny because in a lot in Stephen King's book, like in the Dark Tower, like in the later books, like oh, he, he becomes a character in his own story. Right. So like he's obviously a fan of meta stories. Right. So yeah, I mean maybe yeah maybe there was an issue with like maybe his like uh, you know like agent or or a publishing company wouldn't let it happen or something. I mean maybe something like that or maybe it was too much red tape. You know like yeah I, I can't I mean because I'm, I'm assuming a lot of his stories are probably um, you know, different. You know, publishing houses have rights to different books and stuff. Only been um, like twenty years at that point. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like to try to get all the rights to all that stuff. You know, I mean yeah. things like that. I mean, with Stephen King, I can see that being difficult. Even if Stephen King himself wanted to do it, there's still a lot of red tape to go through. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Carpenter. I mean, I think he's a amazing, fantastic filmmaker, but he doesn't make a ton of money. Right, um, and I I don't think it made enough money for them to deal with all that red tape, which is I think they just went like the dollar store version and just made an, an obvious parody of Stephen <laughs> King. Just yeah. I mean, because like literally the the font on the Sutter Kane books is the same oh, font used. I mean the the covers are like the same yes. artists as yes. like the Stephen King. I mean again, everything is like very obviously Stephen King, but correct. All right, any low points for you in this? Uh, low points. Um, I don't know. I thought the the actress of Styles, I thought, um, uh, didn't really come off like you know she like went to her like weird seduction thing, and it was just so weirdly awkward. Um, I mean, it, it just there's a lot of things that she did that just was very off putting. I don't know if that was done on purpose or not. So I can't I can't knock it down too much. But yeah, she was probably my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Uh thinking uh, Charles Heston honestly was not oh, good in this movie. Um, but at least Hayden Christensen is safe. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, low point, like low points. I, I think we'll get into kind of the next part. Um, I, it's nice too because this is Samuel. I think moving right after Jurassic Park, and Samuel realistically started in the horror movies like in the 80s there's stuff that we'll have to get to of his that he did like the early 80s so um i think he played it well enough yeah styles though i don't know that i'd go with that as a little point i don't know if this is because the idea is that's how she is written and clearly this that sutter king doesn't know how to write 
romantic stuff, maybe. <laughs> maybe that, yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. That's that's a low point. Uh, or how how Sam Neill said the word amateur oh, is also a low point for me because he said amateur. I'm like, yeah. okay, <laughs> that's not how you say it, Sam Neill. <laughs> well, he's Australian. All right, I know. I'm not. I know. It was just like it was very obvious. Like you think somebody would like that's not how an American says amateur. Correct. But, but no, yeah, they left that one in, which I thought was fun. All right. So theory time. Yeah. Uh, we're calling this, I'm call, I call it Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, was uh, it all a book? Is John Trent insane or sane? How, how did you take this? Because there's like two different endings, essentially. Like once you find out he's in the book, do you feel like he was in the book? Do you feel it was real world? What what's your take uh, on okay. this? Okay, my personal opinion is that he went crazy the day that he bought those books. The okay. day that he bought those books, the day that he read those books, that's where he went crazy. Everything is manufactured in his own mind from the time he started cutting up the covers of the books forward is okay. all fiction. It's all in his mind. I think he was one of the unstable people that when they read that book, they became even more unstable. And I think that's why everything after that point was just completely wacky off the wall. So your theory is he's at the same point and we'll, we'll get into too much with my statement here. But when James Woods read the first video drill and then everything after that, same type of scenario. Yeah. Kind of sort of. Yeah. Right, because that's um, what happens in video drama. Not, well, not the same thing. We won't. Like I said we won't get too much into it. We'll discuss it in a couple of weeks. Right. But you're saying that at that point, you start being all that stuff, and he's the unstable person to it. Right. Yeah, I think that you know because they you know again she told them right before that point that you know a lot of unstable people when they read this, you know they become unhinged or whatever. Right. I think he was one of those unstable people, and I think reading those books put him over the edge and i think everything after that was just like a schizophrenic fantasy world that he was living in so he didn't escape the mental decision he probably was inside one and everyone in his world at that point in time was probably part of the hospital staff right yeah and everything that happened up until that point was just a twisted version of what was actually happening in real life so you're going with unreliable narrator as well correct okay okay that's fair that's fair. Oh, that's a good way to take it. Oh, um, you know, it, you know, did Sutter Kane actually exist? Because that's a very questionable thing. He tears himself apart. You know, and he's watching a movie with himself that he's just reliving and replaying these images and videos and life moments in his own head. So is that what kind of what you're thinking of? Is that we're well, okay, watching well, the movie? It's his mind. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The the last book that he wrote before In the Mouth of Madness and the last book that uh, that John Trent would have read is Horror at Hobbs End. Right? Yes. What town does everything take place in? Hobbs End. I think he's reliving the story of Horror at Hobbs End in his own mind. In the Mouth of Madness, he probably saw that that's his next book. But doesn't exist. But, yeah, but I don't think he knows anything about that story. I think he's just living through the story of horror at Hobbs End. And again, that's why, like, you know, 
when he, Sutter Kane is actually in the story and he tears himself open like a book, like that's obviously crazy. Like you can't, that doesn't happen. Right. He's obviously like seeing this in his, you know, unhinged, you know, episode that he's having. So does, do you, so do you think the events, the, the old ones happened or is that all in his head too? Uh, it's all in his head. All in his head. Like I said, everything after the point to where he read all those books, um, up until the point where he starts cutting apart the 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 book covers, I think he was unhinged right before that. I think that book cover thing is that's because that's stuff that a schizophrenic would do, right? Is like cut apart like a book covers and saying, "Hey, look, it looks like a state." Like this one dot is saying where I need to go. Like that's something a crazy person does. Okay. So I think that those books made him crazy and that everything after him reading those books is so complete the, fabrication. The implied apocalypse is only in his head. Correct. Except these books exist and other people could go crazy from them as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely a possibility. But again, they always said it was unstable people. We don't really know what that means. Right. Um, it was obviously like whatever they showed, like other Sutter Kane fans, like even when he was buying the books in the bookstore, like the other guy was like trying to talk to him was like extremely like uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like he was like very awkward and like very like standoffish with them. Yeah. You know, and he's like, wow, dude, leave me alone. And I think, yeah, a lot of his fans, just the more you read it, the crazier you get. And I think, yeah, could it happen to everybody? Sure. I believe that. But could, could, okay. So could some elements from his fever dream, essentially it's called that, right? Mm-hmm. Be true that, or the idea of the ancient ones is actually coming through Sutter King's writings. It could be. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to look at what is causing him to go crazy, sure. Right. I mean, yeah, there, there's obviously got to be something there. I mean, people don't just read books and go crazy. I mean, people can read books and go crazy. That's fine. But like to have like a repeatable thing happen to multiple people reading the same thing. Yeah, obviously something it would have to be supernatural at that point. Right. Because right. I don't think you can write anything that would make people go crazy. Right. So there's entirely possible that Sutter Kane was tapping into like let's say that we're not kind of taking images or words from it, from the HP Lovecraft world and reviving the whole. So part of it could have been true, but part of it could only just be in their own mind. I mean, something's there causing them to go crazy. Okay. Well, how about this? How about um, what he thinks is happening? Like I said, everything after the reading those books and, you know, tearing those book covers is, is a complete fabrication, but what he's actually doing is running around trying to murder people. Yeah. Like, you know, the agent guy, right? Because yeah. that part happened. Yes. Right? Because that was before he read those books. So that part actually happened. So maybe that's what he looks like. And the only part that was reality of that whole thing is where he goes to the kid in the bookstore and goes, hey, you read Sutter Kane, then you know what's coming. Or he pulls the axe out of his jacket. Like, that would be the only part that's real. Like, a real, reliable version of what is actually happening. Okay. And then him going to the, you know, asylum. And then everything else other than that was fabrication. Right. And, and that's, just, why uh, he, that's why he can't explain the months that he was not sane. Right. Okay. Now, do you think, do you think him being interviewed by the doctor in the room, and only the room, was sane? And then once the doctor left, then his 
fever dream took over again. That the that he really didn't escape that room. Yeah, I mean it's most likely possible, right? <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, when they were talking about, you know, he was having visions of stuff that happened outside his door, and he would wake up, and his door would be fine. Right. Like, he had a vision that the glass on his door was shattered. He woke up, and the glass was there. So, obviously, I mean, even in his own mind, at that point, he was still seeing things that weren't there. Right. So, maybe, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's an implied apocalypse that part of it is true, part of it is happening. But maybe, you know, from, he read the first books. And then, you know, not real, not real, not real, not real, not real. Coming back, the months gone that he lost was his schizophrenic delusion. Let's mm-hmm. call it. And he found out that, you know, maybe he was starting to investigate it. Then he went unhinged. Then we get back to the real world just for a tad. And then him playing out what's actually happening in the real world doesn't happen. He's right. still just in the cell. Okay. <clears throat> I like that. Mm-hmm. I like go with that. It's a good theory. All right. So for you, for this one, we're doing number of torn book covers mm-hmm. <laughs> out of ten. What do you give this one? Uh, I'll give this movie eight torn book covers out of ten. Eight. Uh, yeah. Just I mean, it, it's 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 very well done. I mean, it's it's on you know it's akin to to, to Prince of Darkness. Um, I believe you know it's it's not quite as good as Prince of Darkness. That's why I don't, it's only point five underneath, but it's still a very good, very good story. I like it. Yeah, I'm giving it a nine. Uh, uh, torn book covers out of ten. I liked it more than Prince of Darkness. Just, just a little bit, just because I like Sam Neill a lot, and I do like I do like Donald Pleasant, but he really just didn't feel like he wanted to be there, so I had to rate it higher than Prince of Darkness. To be fair, he doesn't, <laughs> I don't think he wants to be in any John Carpenter movie. I think he's only doing it for a paycheck. That's fair. All right. So this is our just our, our analysis of J-Cat. Um, I mean, we, let's face it, they're not attended franchise, right? Obviously, these are rated among our highest so far to date of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like we should have seen these obviously all together a lot sooner as we discussed? Um, well, I mean, yeah, had I known of, of this apocalypse trilogy things, I only really realized that about recently. I'm sorry, the J cat. J cat. Yes. I, I only, I only <laughs> you know, heard about this J cat recently. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I had obviously seen two of the three right. <laughs> up until this point, but yeah, if had I known it was a trilogy, I would have definitely watched the other one earlier. Okay, yeah, it's not a real trilogy. You know what I'm saying, right? We're yeah, it's 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 dubbed the trilogy, and people are seeing parallels because it's let's and honestly, we could take these three stories and call them Halloween. I, I, I almost say Mouth Madness would be a Halloween movie kind of dish too, or Prince of Darkness, um, and the John Carpenter anthology could have been good stories for the anthology series. Mm-hmm. They got a lot. Um, but do you feel like, especially with how meta Mouth Madness was, that we kind of get these stories in Stephen King's books, right? That we have the stand, we have settler, that we kind of end on this open-ended question about what the world is, and very apocalyptic in there. I know these were never his intention to do that, but do you think it's just fans trying to see this world built together? Could we say that these are all in the same world? 
Um, eh, I mean, technically they could all be in the same world, but it would have to be like uh, the thing would have not hit civilization because right. if 1994 people are still around <laughs> so right. the thing had not hit population at least not at that point in time um the apocalypse well i mean i guess the prince of darkness apocalypse could technically exist in the same world um because that apocalypse or whatever event happens doesn't happen until 1999 right so we still have five years later after in the mouth of madness before it would happen right um, so yeah, I mean, they technically could, as long as the thing didn't hit civilization, they could all technically exist in the same world. Yeah. Would it be better or worse or indifferent if they were all tied together, actually tied together? Um, I mean, I don't think it matters because it's not like they have any cross, you know, <laughs> interaction with each other <laughs> or anything. Um, I mean, do they have any actors in common uh, other than that Dr. Leahy becoming a warehouse salesman guy? Right. I think they don't. They don't really have any any uh, crossover, do they? Yeah, yeah. no, they don't. Okay. All right. So I think that's just about to wrap up this episode. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. All right. You want to lead us out? Uh sure. All Stay right. tuned for next week's podcast. We'll be discussing spooky space movies. Spooky. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to be another um, similar one to this one where they don't have any. Um, you know, like real ties together. They're just going to be a kind of thematically tied together. Yes. Um, so it's going to be spooky space movies. Um, I know a couple of them. One of them is going to be uh, Pandorum. Yeah. Um, one of them is going to be uh, Event Horizon. Event Horizon. Yes. Uh, one of them is going to be, are we doing Pitch Black, right? We're doing Pitch Black. Yep. Yeah. What's the other one? Sunshine. Sunshine. There we go. Yeah. We're diving yeah. deep into we're gonna be diving deep into these sci-fi <laughs> horror blurred right. lines. Yeah, month. so yeah, they're they're all gonna be about uh ships in space. Um sometimes they crash, sometimes they don't. <laughs> yep. But they're all gonna but they're all gonna be <laughs> spooky space stories, a horror in in space that yes. are not sequels to existing franchises. We'll be getting that to later. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that later month. on. But yeah, this one this one is just spooky space movies. Uh anyway, so that'll be next time. Uh, yep. but, so until next time, uh, this is Salem saying long live the new flesh. And this is Graveyard saying happy check on the children. Mm-hmm.